All right, we have Greg Caden in. Thank you for making the uh, long trip from California out here to Florida. Absolutely, cross country, no problem, I love it. Well, American Airlines gave you a little bit of a hiccup. A little grief yesterday, but I'm here and I'm happy. Great, great, great. So you got your book out, right? Pull mm-hmm. up his uh, book. I think 2011, maybe. Yeah, it came out 2011. Kind of uh, so tell us a little bit about the book. So the book was is a weird thing. It came um, right towards that period in, where I was thinking about retiring. And, um, yep, there it is. And I got hooked up with a writer and a guy that was mostly wrote autobiographies and stuff like that in the music industry. I think he had written... Um, Snoop Dogg's autobiography and some other ones, Motown stuff. And we hooked, we hooked up and he's like, hey, Greg, I think this story's uh, sellable. And I was contemplating retiring because I was a little bit um, disenchanted with the job at that point. I'd done 25 years and I was just kind of felt like I'd, I'd done everything I wanted to do at work. So opportunity came around to do this book. Um, Random House made us a huge offer thought well here's my exit strategy so I I split I retired and then random house <laughs> once they got the actuals once they got the actual um, uh, you know finished product and they saw that we were making accusations against Diddy they're like uh, no no we are not going to publish this in good faith he's le- he's too litigious and it's gonna create problems for us so now I'm stuck. I'm like, shit, I just walked away from a job. I was playing, <laughs> paying really well. And uh, I got to keep the advance, which was handsome. But at the same time, I was starting to second guess, you know, the decision I had made. But then I said, well, the hell with it. I got this manuscript done. I might as well self-published. And then that just kind of took on a life of its own. And then that turned into a documentary, mm-hmm. a movie, yep. kind a of. A limited right? series, yeah, right. on Netflix. And then the Johnny Depp I was talking about before we started. So tell me about because I was thinking Johnny Depp was playing you, but he was playing my predecessor, Russell Poole. Russell Poole. Yeah. So Russ was one of the early investigators back in the late '90s when uh, Biggie was killed, and he developed a theory, and you know he got a little bit, just uh, you know he got a little bit discouraged because no one else was buying into his theory, so he walked off the job. He himself published a book along with a guy named Randall Sullivan, I think was the author. Yeah, Russell Poole. Yep, there's Russ. And he did a book called Labyrinth, and it was promoting his theory. Basically, the uh, premise of the theory was that LAPD cops had been involved in Biggie's murder, and then the department covered it up, and that took on a life of its own. And that was the prevailing theory in the public's eye for years and years and years. And then our investigation came along much later, almost 10 years later, and we unveiled the actual events that took place in the murders. And so now there's these two theories that were kind of competing for one another, one that had been in the public you know, arena for 10 years, and then the new one, which was mine, or our task forces, telling the actual story. Right, right. And we'll get to all that. We, we have piles of information on that. I have to ask you this. Do you believe in the, the tic-tac-toe, the UFO? Do you think that was a UFO or, uh, you know, like the... The military guy mm-hmm. was trying to track it. Do you think that was um, for like extraterrestrial life, or do you think that was just like a military operation? I don't know. I'm reluctant to answer because I don't. I don't normally buy into conspiracy theories. 
Um, I'm an evidence guy. I'm a facts guy. And I'm like, okay, show me the proof. Speculation and you into and all of that for me is something that I don't, you know, sink my teeth into. So I, I, I would I would defer to people who know that subject better than me. I just wanted your did you watch Bob Lazar? No. If you okay, watch Bob Lazar on Netflix. Mm-hmm. He's this guy, he was working on a place called S four. Okay. Okay. And he says, you know, he was trying to reverse engineer a spacecraft that they got. They had six of them. And that he walked by, may have saw other life, maybe not. It was very quick. He tried to reverse engineer, got halfway done, just couldn't figure out how to defy the gravity. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he's there for a while. Boom, boom, boom. He leaves. Right. Okay. Now he doesn't understand why he left. And all of a sudden, all his information is wiped. Like he went to all the schools that he went to, whatever, blah, blah, blah. They wipe everything. This is 76. He's in an interview in 1976 on ABC talking about working at this place called S4 and this molecule that wasn't on the chart at the time that he discovered reverse engineering this extra, this object not from Earth, right? Okay. So they say it doesn't exist. 2002, they put that chemical that he's on ABC talking about on the chart, you know, like the chemical chart. Mm Mm-hmm. And they also admit that there was an S4 for the last 50 years. If you, if you watch that, you might believe it a little bit more. Okay. But I wanted your opinion on it. Yeah, I, I don't know enough about it to even sound intelligent for, you know, for a moment. So, but the whole thing, it's, it's captivating to me. A friend of mine who's a huge skeptic, like he's probably more conservative thinking than I am. And he just went on a road trip and went to uh, um, like the Roswell area. And he, he came back and he's like, dude, change my opinion changed my mind completely and I, you know and I have a lot of confidence in this guy's judgment he's not a crazy person he's like a very you know tactically minded person he's like oh Greg I completely changed my perspective I'm like well all right then I guess it's something I've got to do a little bit what, more research what, what was into. his conclusion well he believes that there were you know aliens that have visited the earth and I'm speaking on you know on his behalf on his behalf yeah um, I'm I haven't bought into it yet you know, I still would ask a lot of questions is like, you know, how do you how do you defy time? You know, because these people are coming from a distance so far away that they would have to be able to time travel or light speed or light speed, which yeah. essentially, you know, you do work on light speed and you're like, that's that's a hard thing to wrap your head around something to be able to travel that fast that your body could endure. Yeah. So. I don't know. I'm I'm a little bit skeptical about it, but I I certainly don't deny it. Yeah. Do you think there is other life though in general? I do. I believe I I'm a, I'm a huge spiritist. I I believe in, you know, spiritual activity and that type of thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to ask you about the uh the marijuana policy because okay. federally it's a schedule 1. Right. But then the states you can walk in and get a card. I mean, you can walk in you like here you you have to have a reason. California, it's just it's recreational, right? Yeah. Now a person doing like life in prison for weed or 10 years or 20 years, but mm-hmm. they're still in, right. but then you can walk in and buy it at the store. Do you think it will ever federally become legal or do you think they want the newspaper article too much or the, the big bust, the money? Yeah. I don't know of all the ramifications of the feds completely legalizing it. I know that they've decriminalized it. They're not spending a lot of money in, you know, pursuing, um, large quantity marijuana trafficking. 
um, and they're letting the states decide what they want to do. And I think that's appropriate. And I, you know, I don't have an issue with weed at all. You know, I was a cop for 25 years, and I never encountered anybody that was so high that they were a problem to somebody else. You know, I never pulled over a driver that was so stoned that he couldn't drive. I didn't go to domestic violence calls where people were violent because they got too high, that type of thing. And you, you make that comparison to alcohol. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Yeah, yeah. so, um, you know, the marijuana thing for me, um, I think should be decriminalized. And those people that are in jail for it, you have to evaluate each case, you know. But I think that people that are doing a lot of time just for possession-related type things should be exonerated. Because if if you look it up, I, I had uh, Anthony in here, and it was thirty four thousand a federal prisoner annually, and we got the most jails in the world or the world, right? I think right. I think the United States has the most jails in the world, thirty four thousand per federal prisoner. That's steep. So thirty four thousand annually, annually is the amount of money they're getting to support them. Yeah, because they're privately oh, owned. Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, so that's and they keep building them. Yeah, I guess if you introduce that component to it that you know we can make money off of these incarcerations then you know that's that's, that's a different that. conversation <laughs> right. yeah but like our our district attorney who i do not like back in los angeles he just um it is uh he just did it was like about a week ago where he's gonna vacate like sixty thousand marijuana convictions and this is one of the only things that he does that i kind of agree <laughs> with yeah, so Gascon is our, uh, I'm sorry, uh, yeah. And so I'm like, okay, well, that's not a bad thing because I think that it's a tough thing to sell the idea that people have been incarcerated for decades for something that we now enjoy and celebrate and take advantage of. It. So it just doesn't, it doesn't um, settle with, you know, the uh, the social, you know, with, with the social, you know, perspective of the time and how's la right now are, are they starting to open up more or oh, la is an absolute shit show man yeah i just had uh david lucas he's a comedian he was just in yeah and he was saying they opened up a tiny bit but not much la is a shit show man our, our da like i said i just kind of gave him a pat on the back but ultimately <laughs> you know if you want to be a criminal come to la <laughs> yeah, yeah come to los angeles and and and, and succeed um, because out there are, you know, our suspects are victims, you know, and the victims are suspects. Do you want to get out of LA or do you think you'll stay there? And I wouldn't mind getting out of California as a whole. You know, yeah. I, obviously I enjoy the weather and, you know, it, it's where I'm from. So my friends and family are there. But there's definitely in my, you know, for me there's greener pastures, which is one of the reasons I'm taking advantage of this trip after I get, True. Um, you know, after I leave Florida, I'm going to do a little trekking across Tennessee and maybe Northern Carolina. Retirement, a good life, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just someplace that's a little bit more low speed, less judgmental, maybe a little bit more conservative. Um, yeah. I think California has run its course for me. It's time to go. I right? think so. Yeah. So, so you grew up in California? Northern California. I was born and raised around Lake Tahoe. And then in my, uh, about 11 years old, early teens, moved down to Southern California and have been down there, you know. Since? Since. Okay, so now when you're in high school, do you want to be a detective or a cop or are you into sports or what What, what did you want to be? Like, you know, I can say, what did you want to be when you were growing up? Well, ironically, in high school, I was into smoking weed. <laughs> so I didn't have, 
I was just kind of a little bit of a vagabond, you know, and uh, went to high school, hung out with my friends, drank beer, went to parties, just like, you know, most kids were doing. But I didn't have a lot of direction. I didn't have a lot of aspirations. I wasn't very good in sports. I participated in sports, but I was mostly on the sideline. Um, and then a, a really good friend of mine, my closest friend, uh, Todd, uh, was really good in sports. And we were on the same sporting teams. And his father became kind of a mentor for me. And Todd had gone off to college and broke his neck um, his playing neck? football. Yeah, yeah. Snapped, snapped his neck. And so I moved in with him and his family um, to help kind of take care of him during his rehabilitation. And he uh, ended up being paralyzed. But his, to hear that. but his dad, who was always kind of looking, you know, at me with some concern, was like, Greg, you know, you've kind of got to get your shit together. You uh, can't just stay here forever. And, uh, you know, he was a he was a lieutenant on the sheriff's department at the time. So he kind of just was nudging me like, I can help you along here <laughs> if you like. And I thought, you know, you're I appreciate that. It's probably a good idea. So I took advantage of the opportunity and then applied for the sheriff's department. And that's how I started my career in law enforcement. And then you go to the police academy, right? Right. You have to do all that. Right. And then do they put you on like traffic duty at first? So with the county departments, especially, you know, L.A. County, Orange County, um, you typically, once you graduate from the police academy, you go into the jailing system or into the, you know, the, uh, um, the, the uh, correction system. So I start working in the jail. I'm there for about two and a half years. And then me and a buddy had gone up to L.A. on a weekend to go to some bar. And I was like, oh, this place would probably be really cool to work because we're in downtown L.A., it's all things, all kinds of stuff going on on the streets. So I made a decision, like I'm going to try, I'm going to try to reapply with the LAPD and get out of the jails because I'd been there two and a half years, and that's more than enough time for anybody to, you know, <laughs> as a CEO, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I um, applied for the LAPD, got hired there, and then did the same thing again. I had to go through a whole entire police academy, and then once I became um, you know, as a rookie, and I went out and started working the streets. And then, what was your before all the Tupac and and Biggie? What was your first biggest case where you're like, "Oh shit, this is real." So, I, I remember when I really felt like I had I had accomplished what I wanted to was when I, when I got into gangs. And we used to have this assignment that was called Crash, and Crash was an anti-gang unit. So I had spent a year, year and a half working as a patrol officer, and then I got um, recruited into Crash, and that was like really when it all got, like this is some cool shit. <laughs> I really, really dug it. I was working around some really good cops. It was a really proactive position. We're out there grinding in the streets, you know, and it was a, uh, it was a really fun work environment. And this was back in the late 80s. And so, you know, we were just getting it on out there, and it was fun. Yeah, because you graduated in what, 82? Uh, 81. 85? Yeah, 81. <laughs> You're from high school? Yeah. Yeah, it's like six years earlier, seven years earlier. I think I got on the job. I applied in 85, started working in 86, and then by 88, um, you know, I was... So you're 40. You're my age. Yeah, exactly. Your age. Exactly. I was born in 1985. <laughs> I was 82. <laughs> I'm really dating myself here. Okay. So LA was cool back then. It, it yeah, was... I mean LA. You know, the South Central LA is kind of a war zone. It's a very, um, 
uh, you know, oppressed area. And so, you know, the gangs were running things. Like the gangs were in the 80s and early 90s, man. It was just gangsters everywhere you went. But it was a different model and different style of gangsterism back then. Like literally they used to, you could just see them on the streets because of the way they, you know, dressed and the way they conducted themselves, they were really easy to identify. And of course, so were we. So it was always this like, just, it was a, it was a lot of fun. Now, when you're doing that, do you have a girlfriend or are you dating anybody? At that time, I had already hooked up with who my my wife, my wife and I, I think, have been together 32 years. Congratulations on that. Thanks. And we met while I was working in the jail. So I worked in the men's jail and she worked in the women's jail. Oh, cool. Yeah. But we didn't meet as a, a result of working together in the jails. We didn't even know about each other. But my, my sister, who was a, an amateur bodybuilder, was training my wife, Donna, wow. at the local gym. And so, <laughs> this is kind of a funny story. My wife gets invited to one of my, my sister's uh, bodybuilding competitions. And of course, I do too. <laughs> so we end up sitting next to each other. And there's another girl that my sister had invited. Her name's also Donna, who's also a deputy sheriff. So you got two Donnas. Yeah. So my wife is sitting right next to me, but I'm trying to be with the other Donna. (laughs) 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 So uh, the other Donna gives me no time of day. So I end up, I'm talking now with uh, my Donna, and uh, we end up. Donna one, Donna two. Donna one and Donna two. And they were best friends. Oh, fuck. So the whole thing just was awkward at the beginning, but then I, I ended up choosing the right one. Now, was that Sorry, tough? Donna two. <laughs> <laughs> now, was that tough uh, working like the police hours? but Or she was understandable because she was a, C, a CO, right, with the woman's jail, so it kind of just worked perfectly. It, it did, and then it didn't. There's a lot of challenges to two people being in the same profession and- um, you know, that profession leads itself to a lot of vulnerabilities and some, some issues that, um, that, can, that, that can tax a relationship. So, yes, in a, in a sense, like she would understand the shift work. And when we had our first or an only kid, um, we were balancing like she'd work day shift, I'd work PM shift. And so we were just handing off our kid basically throughout the week. And uh, so those things we understood the we understood the job and what comes with it, but at the same time we're young and there's just a lot of partying. There's a lot of challenges that present themselves in the relationship. So, you know, we grinded through it all somehow. That's awesome because I, I would think it would be hard to be with someone that that doesn't work like you know you do with those hours, and you got to come home in a bad mood. Or were you able to leave? Were you one of those guys who were able to leave work at work? Yeah, home. yeah, I was. I um, I always had a good time at work. I I was never leaving work coming home. Like, oh, you know, I was always like, man, that was a great night. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, it sounds like you loved it. I did. I loved it, especially in the early days. You know, the 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 beat cop stuff, the street cop stuff. That's the most fun, in my opinion. Once you start getting into investigations, you then you start carrying it. Then you start taking, you know, a little bit more. You, you're investing more. And so you can take some of that stuff home and it becomes a little bit more um, discouraging because things don't always go your way. You know, once you're done writing a report as a police officer, you're just moving on. To the next one, right. Yeah, you're moving on to the next one. But when you're investigating, you got to sit there and go through all kinds of shit. You got the families that are Mm -hmm. waiting. And then, God forbid, as you did many times, you you find out what happened. Now you got to tell them. But in between that time period, that wait, 
of trying to figure it out, not just for you. You know that, you know, somebody lost their son or their daughter, right? So, I mean. So, yeah, there's all those. They were all of those kind of concerns and and, and uh, challenges. But really, the difficulty came with the bureaucracy of what happens in law enforcement. And, you know, some of the. That's always been for me like the, the when I look back on my career, it was like what I don't ever want to think about it again is how much bullshit you had to deal with. Yeah, it sounds you know, like it, the bureaucracy oh. and the just the politics involved and you know, sometimes nowadays it's got to be 10 times worse where you're just handcuffed. Can you imagine now? Nope. Rough. Yeah. So now there there was an incident and um I think it was 90 I forget what year it was, but Suge Knight was at a Chris Brown uh pre-VMA party in West Hollywood. Yep. Um, do you know anything about that? There was a shooting there. He yeah, got I injured. Think, was that at One Oak? I think um, that might have been at One Oak. I think that was. I the think name it was One Oak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my old partner that I worked with on the Biggie case, a guy named Darren Dupree, um, he had all the insight into that because he is still on the job when that took place. And uh, from what I understand, it was just like, you know, anywhere Suge goes, there's just going to be that kind of drama. You know, he brings it upon himself. The people around him are going to create that. And there's just a, always animosity, you know, in his in his sphere of influence. So, yeah, but that was a gangster shit. That was, that was I think, some crips from the local area. Did you ever have a run-in with Chris Brown? Nope. No? Nothing. Nothing. I like him. That's why I asked. Okay. I actually yeah. like his lyrics. Okay. So. I was just wondering if you ever met him. I have not. Calls on him that you heard through? Uh-uh. I got nothing on him. All right. I, yep. I'm satisfied with the Tupac and Biggie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was interesting in one of your interviews with, uh, the interview with Patrick, who he lives down here now. Oh, really? Yeah. He left He left uh, Texas? Yeah, he's here now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, you said that a lot of guys that you had put away, you're still friends with. Yeah, a handful. You know, some guys, as you're going through the process of the prosecution and, you know, you're developing a rapport with them, because it's never, it's, it's not supposed to be personal. And most of the time, they respect you're just doing your job if you're doing it right. And, uh, you know, you recognize that they're just doing what they're doing. You don't support it or um, agree with it, but it, it doesn't have to become this personal issue. And so I always it always worked out best for me to just build, you know... A rapport. A rapport. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is, you know, this is what's up. I'll be honest with you. Hopefully you'll be honest with me. And we always tried to help each other out the best we could under the circumstances. So I did. I built good relationship with people who turned out to be, aside from some of the decision making they made, you know, in their life, uh, really decent individuals, people that I could actually trust. And see, and, see to me, that's an awesome cop. And, and there's a lot like you. It's just the couple bad ones, yeah. the ones that get the the heat on the news, you know. Yeah. And now they want to defund. The fuck. Are they fucking crazy? Well, I say give it a try. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because those cops that are going to take a year off are going to all come back with you know, massive increases in salaries. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah, go ahead and see how that works out. Okay, so we'll start with Tupac. I'll pull up uh, slide three. So now he's growing up, doesn't know his dad, right? He's moving around. His mom's a Black Panther, mm-hmm. right? So he's kind of like a lost soul. Would, would you say that from your investigation growing up, kind of, you know, moving around, doesn't know his father, 
Yeah, Tupac's a really interesting enigma, really. Um, he's a guy I think was really looking for a place to call home, you know, and for I think he thought he found that at death row um, with Suge Knight kind of as a mentor. Um, but I think he was always looking for that that sense of loyalty that comes with, you know, family, which he didn't have. And so I think that that was one of the things that allowed him to be vulnerable, but also one of the things that allowed him to be vulnerable with the wrong people. So then he's moving around, you know, he's writing his poetry, he's doing his rapping, whatever. Then he goes to Quad Studio Mm -hmm. and he gets shot five times. Uh, Slide three. He gets shot five times and then he goes to court, I think, two days after the shooting. And he thinks it's P. Diddy or Diddy and Biggie. Later, he finds out it wasn't. Yeah, so he suspects that those guys maybe didn't have anything to do with setting him up, but that they know that they knew about it and either didn't warn him or found out about it after the fact and didn't tell him who it was. And so, you know, his perspective is like, again, where's the loyalty? You know, I'm coming over here, we're working together, and it's cool, I'm helping you, you're helping me. And then this happens, and who do I trust? I I can't trust you, obviously, because... You guys knew about this and didn't didn't do anything to warn me, because him and Biggie were really they were really close at one time. Yeah, I talked to Valletta about this, and she goes, "Man, Pac would come over and sleep on our couch." And they were like that. They were they were as close as um, you know, they were really close friends. Now, when he died, did he think that they knew, or or do you think that they knew? Do you think that Diddy and Biggie knew that that hit was going to happen for the seven grand or or whatever? Because he went there to record. Uh, with a guy named Booker for seven thousand, he was going to record a, a track with him. Yeah, I think it was seven grand, but I think it was to do background vocals on a guy named Little Sean's album. Okay. Um. So, yeah, and but the guy who had set that up, who kind of um, um, coordinated all that, was a guy named James Rosemond. Right, and he calls him Jimmy Hinchman. Jimmy the Hinchman. Song against all odds. Yeah. Machiavelli. Who also had a a record label. And so I think he was, you know, and this is early Pac, you know, this is pre-death row. Pac was still, you know, who he was, but Henchman was, you know, a known street guy in New York at the time. And so when Pac was demanding the money, like, yo, I want my money up front, Henchman's like, well, you'll get your money, just go do what I've asked, you know. And so it became a little battle of the wills. And I think Henchman was like, well, let me just send this dude a message and let him know, you know, who calls the shots. So he kind of disciplined him. He didn't get shot five times. By he the didn't? Way. No. How many times did he get shot? He shot himself. Tupac shot himself? And then he got pistol whipped, and he suffered several huge lacerations on his head, which is why he's bandanaed um, the next day when he goes to court. Wow, I always thought he got shot oh, in I'm the sorry, head. not bandanaed, but the, you know, he had uh, bandages on his head. I thought he got shot in the balls, the head, and the three. He got shot in the balls, right? He did, because he, he had a gun of his own. Yeah. And in the, you know, in the chaos of the uh, the robbery and the confrontation, you know, he's trying to pull his own gun out of his waistband. And then that happens. Then he goes to court on the rape case. Correct. Now, do you think he actually raped somebody? Um, I don't think so. No, I don't. I think that it was a very unfortunate situation for the girl. Um, she was taken advantage of, obviously. But I don't know, 
we'd really have to sit and define the terms of what rape is. Tupac claims he wasn't in the room. She had come over there willingly. His impression was that she's she's going to hook up with the guys. So I don't really know. I wasn't there. But when I think of rape, I think that of rape in a, a much more um, more defined way. Right. So, like aggressive way. Yeah. Or, you know, that he personally, physically did something against her will. So I don't know that Pac was directly involved in that. What happened in that room with the other guys, you know, I'm not going to second guess her. You know, she's she's obviously a victim of something. Um, but I think it's, which is why he never actually got convicted of rape. Right. So I don't know. That, that has to be like broken down into... Sections yeah. or pieces. Okay, yeah. so then... He, he does that. He goes to court. He gets charged with it. Mm-hmm. He, he had a million-dollar bail. Mm-hmm. Nobody's there. So he got charged and convicted, right? So then he's appealing the conviction. And so they he, he can get out if he can post a million-dollar bond Okay. during the appeal. And then the mastermind, Suge Knight, comes to the, res- the rescue, right? So he was—Pac was under Interscope. Right. And so it was actually Interscope's idea that, hey, this guy who's this incredible talent that's languishing away in jail <laughs> um, would really probably be a good fit over here with this rap label in Los Angeles, Death Row. And so it was really the corporate executive's idea that this might work really good. And so they suggest it. And Suge's like, yeah, I'm all about that. Okay. So he then goes and makes the offer and represents it as a, we can get you out. And uh, and they do. And they get him out. Mm-hmm. Now he signed so many albums with Death Row to do. I think it was three. Three? Yeah. Okay. To satisfy the agreement. A- agreement for the million. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but nothing was really in his name. It, it, did you see that in the finals? Like the car wasn't in his name? So this is what Suge used to do. You know, he would give people gifts and help them get houses and whatever, but it was always working towards their own royalties. So they thought that these are the benefits of being involved in this really successful record label, but other people are keeping track of what you've been given and what you're spending and then using that back against your own, you know, profits. Profits, right. So then, okay, so now we have Tupac thinking that P. Diddy and Biggie set him up. So there's one at this time. That was in 94. Right. Then in 95, Suge Knight and Suge Knight's bodyguard gets killed by Diddy's bodyguard, right? Diddy's bodyguard shoots Suge Knight's bodyguard. Yes. That's... that's 95. Nobody was ever convicted or even arrested on that case, but... According to all the collective information, that's the most likely scenario. Diddy and, and Sugar at a uh, nightclub in Atlanta, they get into a small little confrontation inside the club. An off-duty cop says, y'all need to take this shit outside, kicks everybody out. But he holds Tupac and his entourage, I'm sorry, um, Suge and his entourage back. So he wants to get a little separation between the groups. So he sends everybody outside when Suge and Jay Robles get out there, those other guys are still there. So it picks up right where it left off. A gun gets pulled out. Jake gets shot. Some people say that the guy was actually going to attempt to shoot Suge. And Jake did his job and jumped in front of Suge, took the bullet for him. Or Jake just ends up in the, you know, in the line of fire. So there's a little bit of a foot pursuit. 
everyone disappears. They're never able to figure out what happened, but presumably it was Diddy's bodyguard. Right. So now you have like the cocktail for the perfect disaster about to happen. Exactly. You got Tupac thinking this, Suge thinking this. Now they're together. Yep. You you know it's a matter perfect of storm. Perfect storm. Right. Yep. Okay. Now they go to the uh, MGM, the mm-hmm. Tyson fight. Okay. And prior to that, somebody had stole a death row chain. Like right. at a strip mall. Mm-hmm. And somebody says to Tupac at the Tyson fight at the MGM, hey, that's the guy who stole my chain. Is Correct. that accurate? Yeah. So Tupac's walking out. He's all pumped up. He just comes out of the arena. He knows Mike Tyson personally, right? So they run into a guy named Orlando Anderson. Orlando Anderson is a guy who tried to steal a death row medallion about three months earlier. And so Trayvon Lane, who's was the bearer of that medallion, says, yo, there's that motherfucker basically that uh, tried to steal my chain. Pac takes it upon himself to go over there and sucker punch Orlando. The rest of the uh, mob pyrus and the rest of the entourage jump in and start kicking the shit out of him. And that sets everything in motion for what will happen in a couple hours. Yeah. Okay. So now that happens. Okay. So now they leave the fight. They're going to Shug's Club 662, right? Right. They're on the way. Orlando Anderson's pissed. They want to, they're on the hunt for him. Right. They're in the white Cadillac. They make the U turn. Whatever people are hollering, they pull up, pop, 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 hip hop, and graze Suge. Right. Do you think that Suge knew any, like, why not hit Suge and Tupac? Why just blast Tupac and Suge only gets a graze? So the in, think about, put yourself in the mind of the shooter. Mm-hmm. The shooter knows that. That's the motherfucker that just attacked me. Even though the rest of them jumped in, he's like, he started it. He's the one who ran up, ran up to me first and hit me. So that's where his focus is, right? He doesn't care about Tupac as a, you know, multi-million dollar, you know, artist. He's just like, he's from the streets of Compton. That dude assaulted me. You're gonna pay. So his focus is there, but he's just shooting. You know, you look at the, you know, the, the bullet spread. Yeah. Inside of it, it's it's not accurate. It's just he happened to hit Tupac, and you know one of the bullets happened to be fatal. So it just he'd have been happy to shoot Suge too, I'm sure, but he didn't. Yeah, Tupac was in the way. Because you remember there was when right after he died, the um, the Machiavelli album came out, mm-hmm. and I don't know if this was in the files or not, but the the first song was called "Bomb First, and at the very end, Suge probably put it in to make more money. It, or it was either at the end or the beginning. I was in, it was the end of high school. And okay. it said, Shook shot me. Do you remember hearing that? <laughs> it says that in, it's the song's called Bomb First. Okay. <laughs> and you gotta, you gotta like play it and pause it. It's real quick. Okay. And, and somebody's whispering, Shook shot me. Uh-huh. Did you ever know that? I didn't. Yes. Yeah, so all my friends were like, it was Shook. You know, we're, we're about to graduate high school. Okay. And we would all like play it because nobody would, like, we we're trying to hear it like louder to uh-huh. make sure we we're right. And it says, Shook shot me. Okay. It's called Bomb First. Okay. I used to do that with the Beatles albums. I'd <laughs> yeah. like go backwards and get the, the subliminal messages. And I think I did some Led Zeppelins. Yeah. yeah so We were dead set in high school. with Suge Knight. <laughs> Remember, I'll never forget. I was in the car. And I was like, fuck, he's dead. Yeah. Suge may not be the brightest, you know, tack in the drawer, but he's smart enough not to put himself right in the line of fire. Yeah. You know, if you're going to have somebody drive up and, and shoot your number one artist, which doesn't make sense to begin with, you certainly don't sit on the opposite side of him where, uh, you know, two inches to the left and he's dead too. <laughs> right. 
but and we had all thought growing up that Suge did it because everybody was saying, you know, on TV and everything else that uh, Tupac was owed money, the car thing wasn't in his name, and that Tupac after this last album was going to leave Death Row. Yeah, so that was one of the kind of prevailing theories in uh, in the beginning of the investigation. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now, who has the case before you? I know Poole was. Um, well, Biggie. Tu- so Tupac was a Las Vegas case. Right. So that was within the jurisdiction of Las Vegas PD in L.A. Um, before I got assigned to the Biggie case, uh, it happened in Wilshire Division. So the local Wilshire and homicide investigators, a guy named Kelly Cooper, and uh, his partner's name was Scott. They had it originally, and then because it was a very you know media-driven case it went over to robbery homicide division and then a guy named russell Poole and his partner fred miller became the primary investigator so it kind of bounced around to different investigators at different times and then what was when when the case fell into your lap what Mm -hmm. 2006 yeah okay russell Poole had the theory that shog was behind it yes and the you tell me, so you say it right, so I don't fucking So Pool had this theory. Um, it was kind of always surmised that Suge had something to do with it, retaliation for what had happened in Las Vegas with him and Tupac. So that was always the, because there's the motive right there. You always want to build motive into your, into your theories. So um, he had this idea, and then, um, shit, how, what was it? Uh, six months later, there's this LAPD cop, guy named David Mack who robs a bank he gets arrested for robbing the bank ultimately gets tried and convicted of robbing the bank but at the time um, that he that he commits this crime there's these little kind of circumstantial things to to kind of suggest that maybe you know he was somehow tied to the bloods in Compton and that maybe he worked for death row because other cops were working for death row after Tupac was shot, and certainly after Biggie was shot, everybody was starting to like, who are the people that are, you know, providing protection for these people? And it became very, you know, clear that off-duty cops were working for both right-way security, which was the uh, protective, you know, the protective wing of Death Row Records. And all of these guys were like, well, you know, what are they doing? And why are they here? And are they compromised? And what are they doing? You know, so that became a huge issue. So people began to surmise that David Mack maybe was one of these individuals working for Death Row Records. But I mean, in the Tupac shooting, mm-hmm. when you get that, he thought that David Mack was one of the shooters. No, so with that's with, Biggie, right? That's Biggie. Yeah, yeah. Let's just stay with Tupac first. Okay. So when you get the case in '06, mm-hmm. what's the theory that lands on your lap? of who killed Tupac when you get the case when we get the case we believed it was either uh, the most the strongest theory was obviously the Orlando Anderson Southside Crips we just saw Orlando Anderson getting the shit kicked out of him two hours before the shooting we knew that him and his Crip friends were all there at the uh, at the um, at the fight and that we're staying in Vegas so the most of the evidence was pointing directly at the Southside Crips and so that was the working theory. The other one that was kind of a weaker theory was theory was the uh, Suge Knight one, where Tupac was going to leave, and Suge Knight figured out I can make more money off him if he's dead, as opposed to being gone. 
So that was the kind of second, but it's a weak theory. It's, it's one that wasn't really well entertained because there was no evidence to support it. And the motive was weak, there was no evidence. So it had always, and, and by Las Vegas themselves, they were always um, pretty confident that Orlando Anderson was in fact their shooter. They just couldn't prove it. Go back to the slide with all the guys in, in the uh, Tupac. Okay, so right there's Orlando Anderson. Now, mm-hmm. Keefe D comes along because he gets popped in a drug case that would have given him life, right? Right. So now he decides to cooperate. Right. Did you have a tough time getting him to cooperate? No, not uh, once he knew what he was facing. Okay, it was life plus his family was going to get in trouble or uh, he... Yeah, there's a couple people that were associated with him would have faced some charges. Nothing like what he was facing, though. He had a minimum mandatory federally because of the uh, PCP that we had uh, um, that we'd gotten off of him. He was gone. So we approached him and said, here's what we got. What do you want to do? He says, I'll tell you what I know. And we sit down with his lawyers and, and start to uh, peel the onion. Okay, so we got Keefe D there. And then we got Orlando Anderson, who's the shooter. Correct. Okay, Zip supposedly got 500K or a million from Diddy. So Zip was out in Vegas at the time of the shooting. Okay. Zip and Keefe D had a long history of narcotics trafficking together. Key, uh, Zip was out in New York. He's a hustler in New York, had his own nightclub and that type of thing, but he was a notorious dope dealer. And he would get his cocaine and PCP from Keefe D in California because the prices out here were much better than they were in New York. So he was dealing for years and years um, trafficking narcotics with Zip. So when Vegas happens, Zip's out there. And Keefe D finds out that Orlando had just got his ass stomped. And Zip's there, and um, Zip's like, you know, kind of just like, what the fuck? You guys need some help with this? And Keefe's like, nah, but we don't have any heat. So Zip goes out to his car and gets a gun and the Glock that's used to kill Tupac. He hands it to Keefe D. And Terrence Brown and DeAndre, who are amongst the crew, they all jump into a car and go on the hunt to find Tupac. Okay, so now Terrence Brown is the driver, the getaway driver, right? right. Okay, what's DeAndre Smith's role? DeAndre's just in the backseat. He's one of the Southside Crips. He's kind of close with these guys. He's also a dope dealer. In fact, it was his dope that they were trying to collect money on when Orlando gets killed down the road, but I digress. So DeAndre's, uh, DeAndre's in the backseat. Terrence is the driver. Keefe D's in the right front passenger, and Orlando's sitting directly behind his uncle, Keefe D. Okay, now who does... Does Keefe D give the gun to somebody and they say, no, I don't want to do it? And then Orlando Anderson says, yeah, I'll do it? Yeah, so DeAndre's in the best position to shoot because, of course, Terrence Brown is driving. Um, Tupac's out to the left side of the vehicle. DeAndre's right behind the driver. He's in the best position to shoot. DeAndre's like, nah, no thanks. That's I'm not, I'm not here for that. And so Orlando takes the gun, which makes sense because he was the one that just got stomped. He says, you know, give me that motherfucker. And he grabs it and he leans over DeAndre out the window and starts popping and shoots and ultimately kills Tupac. And that was the end of that. That was it. Now, the the wire from Diddy was never proven, right? We don't know if there's a wire or a check, if it was ever paid. This is all just rumor. Um, Keefe D heard from several different people who were in a position to know this. They weren't just random people. They were people that were associated with Zip. And uh, the story is that after the hit that that uh, Diddy had given Zip, 
half the money that was uh, discussed, and Zip just kept it. Took it all. And is it true that uh, Diddy had called and said, hey, was that you guys? Did, like, do you have the, that factual? The very following day. Well, this is Keefe D's story. Okay. You know, it, it's never been corroborated by cell phone records or anything, because we're, we're getting this information 2008, 2009, so 12 years after the fact. And so we, you know, couldn't go back and see whether these phone calls actually happened. But according to Keefe D, who's in a position, he's compelled to tell the truth about what he knows. It's like, hey, the next day after Vegas, I get a phone call. It's actually Puffy calling Zip saying, hey, was that us? Um, obviously aware that Tupac had been shot in Vegas. So Now, in, in your opinion, do you think that that's true and zip kept it all after all these years i absolutely believe if there was money forwarded to zip he would keep it no doubt whatsoever he's a street hustler kvd's on the other side of the world and you know i, I don't think that uh he would have given that money over but um there's a caveat to all this is that you know i for diddy he was in a very very difficult situation the conflict that had been growing between him and suge was getting out of control. As we mentioned earlier, you know, um, a bodyguard of his was believed to have shot in Suge's bodyguard. Blood was on the ground. It's getting really hostile. Suge kidnaps an associate of his, trying to find out where Diddy's house is in L.A. so he can go track him down. Like, this is real for Diddy. He's like, man, if I go to L.A., I got a target on my back, and, you know, I'm desperate. And out of that desperation, he's talking to Keefe D and having a conversation about this conflict. I think he's just have an exaggerated speech like man motherfucker take care of these dudes i don't you know just whatever make it go away i don't think that he's sitting there saying listen go kill him let's have a yeah yeah but he's talking to a guy who does this type of stuff and is associated with people who do this stuff orlando was wanted for other murders at the time so i think he you know probably was a little too loose-lipped and out of desperation made comments that led keefe d to believe that he could collect on this. Um, and they had reason to now because Orlando had just gotten stomped. So just on principle, Tupac was going to get shot that night, aside from any financial conversation that had happened earlier. Just on principle. But then KVD's thinking, well, shoot, two birds with one stone, we'll take advantage of this. So it makes and, sense, right? In fact, that, according to KVD, is exactly what Zip said. He goes, hey, man, perfect opportunity to take two, two birds with one stone. Yeah, so. because pocket stops or Orlando's killing them either way. Right. Whether, whether Diddy ever existed or not, right. Tupac's getting shot. Yep. If it's not that night, it will be the next night, right? But now they're thinking, fuck, we're doing this anyway, and we can make half a mil or a mil. Yeah. Shit. I mean. Let's- so what's going on <laughs> in Diddy's mind when he hears about this whole oh, shit? That just happened. Did that happen because of something I said? You think he's actually thinking that? Oh, he's got to be. Do you think he's relieved? No, I don't. I don't. I don't think he's built like that. I just don't see. I don't think he's a cold-blooded killer. I don't think he's somebody that just wants to go out there and, you know, promote murder. You know, I don't know the man. Never. I just. It's just from what I do know from his, uh, you know, from his public persona. I think that he wasn't trying to really make that happen. He was just desperate that he didn't want that happening to him. You know what I'm saying? Well, Eugene Deal has gone on multiple times. If you pull up uh, tab three and then four, he he comes out and 
he says that that Diddy was behind everything. Now we're not at we're not at Biggie yet, but he's saying right. that Diddy was behind the Tupac and the Biggie case. So that story with Eugene, it's a, it's an evolving story, you know, and that story is continuing to have a lot of contradictions. For me, it's like what happened back at the time when it mattered. What was your story then? Um, if these things did happen, why weren't they mentioned then? You know, these were, you know, pertinent points. And so I have an issue with, with Gene's revisionist history. <laughs> um, I, I think that, that Diddy has some skin in the game here, but not the extent that he was intentionally trying to go out and have Tupac murdered. I just don't believe that to be true. But I do feel that he didn't handle a situation very well and out of desperation, um, he made comments uh, that came to fruition um, that a lot of people are very pissed about. Now, the last time I, I saw you answer this was maybe a year and a half ago. Do you have any different opinion? Do you think that Diddy did put out there $10,000 per death row chain? That's just a street rumor. We've never yeah. corroborated it. We've never... The Mob Pyru Bloods on the street were actually aware of this rumor, believing it to be true. Um, but these are street rumors, and they're very difficult to corroborate. We certainly don't have any evidence that it took place, but people were acting as if it were true. One of those things, right? Yeah, one of those things. So now, um, were you ever able to I go... mean, Go ahead, I'm sorry. You know, to kind of reinforce that, just the confrontation at the mall where a guy's death row medallion is attempting to be stole kind of shows you that the, you know, that the rumor certainly was believed to be true by those who were, you know, on the receiving end of it. Right. So yeah. put two and two together. Right. Yeah. Now, were you ever able to go to a Feeney Shakur before she passed away and say, hey, look, you know, this is what happened? Did you get the opportunity to do that? No, I too, I tried. I made an attempt when I was going to publish the book. I wanted to let her know what we discovered during the investigation, that we had a confessing co-conspirator, Keefe D., and uh, give her an opportunity to know about that before. And same thing with Valletta. You know, just give them the opportunity to know ahead of time that this doesn't come out as a surprise. Um, but I then got put in touch with, I think, her sister, Gloria. And Gloria and I spoke, and she said, Hey, I appreciate what you did and what you're doing. No problem with it. Um, we believe what you're saying is to be tr is, tr is true, but well, you're not telling us anything we didn't already know. So it wasn't this revelation for them. It was like, yeah, I appreciate you getting it out there, but we no, already knew this. No duh. Yeah. <laughs> but you would think that it would be more to them from the detective who had, what, 97? Did you really have 97 four-inch thick binders? At least. That was just the wow. heart. That's, Imagine that. That's just, that's the non-digital files. That's just the hard copy files. Like we had tens of thousands of pages more that were all digital. Now you say you like puzzles, buddy. Yeah, it was. And that was, this is one of two. I still go through those case files and stumble upon stuff. I'm like, wow, I don't remember seeing this. Like there's just that much volume to it. I was, give give I was, me the last, real quick. Give me the last thing you saw that you were like, oh shit, I didn't notice that. Um, I can't remember. It's no big deal. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's just you know you go back over these informant statements and you're just reading them over and over and over. And when you read something a lot of times, you have a tendency to just kind of gloss over it. But then when you slow down and you, you let your reading comprehension comprehension really do its job, like holy smokes, that's right. This person also said the same. You know, so just little nuggets like that.
Yeah. Doesn't change the story at all. Um, but it's fascinating how much material was gathered in this investigation. I know. When I was doing the research before you came in, mm-hmm. I was like, holy fuck. Uh, you know, because there's so many different... And I don't have the binders. I'm just yeah. I'm just reading. Like I go to DuckDuckGo, like the because mm-hmm. I, I I feel I get more information like that's real from DuckDuckGo, like search engine than Google. And I'm reading, it, and there's so many fucking twists and turns. And then you say this, and this guy says this. Now you're the main guy, of course. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, from what you say, there's like you know a pencil that goes this way, a pencil that goes this way, a pencil that goes that way. It's all what you said, but then there's like add-ons and add-ons. Mm-hmm. I mean, your mind had to have been going crazy. I hope you were taking Modafinil when you were on when you were doing that <laughs> shit. A vigil. <laughs> Fuck. What were you going to say, Rob? No, I was just going to ask you. So you still have those binders or those binders are within LA? They have still have those? No. So what I did, I made copies of things. I didn't take anything that, uh, you know, that uh, they're just copies. So, and there's multiple copies of this. Obviously, Biggie's lawyers have copies of the entire case files and the LAPD still does, and the FBI has their case files. So um, there's just duplications of it all. But yes, I kept all of the pertinent stuff regarding those investigations for several reasons. One is because I knew I was writing a book, and I needed that information in order to show that what I was that was in the book was you know um, valid. Sure. And also, you need that kind of stuff um, in the event that something you know. It, if some civil lawsuit comes up, right? Mm-hmm. I learned really young, like first probably year on the job, I had a training officer and he uh, he told me something that's settled with me, like for my, he goes, Greg, everything you do on the job, keep a copy of it for yourself. Every report you write, and you start thinking, man, that's a hell of a lot, that's a, like a lot of extra work. <laughs> but it made a lot of sense because you would see guys that get themselves in trouble or end up in civil court, and they can't get their hands on the paperwork that they need to defend themselves. It's just, you know, they're at the mercy of the LAPD or the records division. How does that usually work out? <laughs> sometimes okay, but sometimes not. <laughs> and so you got to be your best at your own advocate, you know. And so it was really good advice. Like, Greg, anything you do on the job, keep a copy of it for yourself. Because you never know who's going to, you know, out of nowhere, um, allegations can be made. And uh, you have to be able to defend yourself. And if it's documented, that's the best source of defense. It it just feels like it should be in a museum somewhere next to, like, the O.J. Simpson glove. (laughs) Like, O.J. Simpson's glove and then all that stuff in a museum somewhere. That's a great idea. I think I'll just donate it all. That's perfect, actually. (laughs) (laughs) And when O.J. Simpson case was going on, what were you thinking? Well, clearly, like, it was so incriminating from the beginning. I mean, just right off the bat, you're like, okay, okay. Why are you on the run? Why is there a shovel in the back of your truck? <laughs> you know, all of these things like, okay, yeah, the the dots are pretty easy to connect, but the, the lawyers did what they're supposed to do, create reasonable doubt. And they did it, you know, with the whole glove thing and like... If the glove don't, don't fit, acquit. Acquit, right? Yeah. Were you, were you rolling your eyes in the back of your head? I was because, you know... <laughs> I work with leather gloves all the time, whether it's in my yard or if I'm snow skiing or whatever, and I come out and they don't fit anymore because they've been wet and then they shrink. And so the whole thing was so theatrical and it was like the jury bought that. And it was like unbelievable that that tactic actually worked. And I was so disappointed in the prosecutors, you know, that they, they were, they really were, they were just outmatched. 
all due respect, but that the woman I forget her name. Yeah, Mark Marsha Clark. She she was she was bad. She was she she almost got him off herself. <laughs> he should have hired her. Yeah, the the DA went into that case so confident in in um in succeeding that they I don't think that they thought that they had such strong evidence that they could assign um not a lesser DA, but like she was from family violence. They needed somebody from hardcore, somebody who'd prosecuted a bunch of murders before to handle that case. And uh, but they thought it was just so com- they were so confident in their evidence that they didn't think they needed the best that the op- that the office had to offer. Well, when she walked in and she saw uh, Johnny Cochran and uh, Kardashian, mm-hmm. I bet she knew then what she was up against. No, they call them the dream team, and for good reason. Now, do you think there was a payoff there? Or do you think that the jury actually bought that shit? I think they created reasonable doubt. And that's that it's a small, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt is a high standard. And, um, you know, here's a, he's a, an American icon. Yeah. And so it makes it even more difficult, like, to convict if, if there is a reasonable doubt. Some people just don't want to believe it. And, um, there was a lot at play there. I think the judge was substandard. You know, that Judge Ito allowing the cameras in and allowing it to become... Oh, he loved the publicity. Yeah, he yeah. loved that. You could see him. Mm-hmm. He loved that camera. Allowing it to become theater and the DA underestimating the power of the defense and the defense tactics. And, of course, DNA was kind of just new at the time and people weren't really wrapping their head around, um, you know, the DNA evidence, which was incredibly strong. You know, and but it went right over the jury's head. So he got acquitted, and so without a doubt, he could, he's he's guilty. No doubt in my mind. No doubt. Yeah, I agree. And just back to Tupac. Okay. So <laughs> what? What's um? So Orlando Anderson, he died what two years later after all this? Yeah, ninety-eight. Orlando runs into some guys outside of a car wash, and uh, they all end up shooting each other. He ends up dying. Then Zip dies too, and a non-related Zip gang. dies of cancer. Oh, that was cancer. Yeah. Okay. DeAndre Smith. Um, health issues. Um, you know, just uh, diabetes-related health issues. Dead. Dead. Jesus. Ter- Terrence Brown. Terrence Brown's inside of a, dug- a drug dispensary, a marijuana dispensary in in uh, Compton, and some people go in to rob it, and he's in the wrong place, wrong time, and gets killed. He gets shot and killed during a robbery. So the only one alive is Keefe D. And P. And P. Diddy. And Puff. Yep. But you don't really have anything other than hearsay on P. Diddy. No, no, I don't. And even if, if, even if Keefe D, if everything that he says is true about P. Diddy, I still don't think it meets the standard for soliciting a murder. Right, right because it would be a real weak, like, conspiracy, right? It, and you know he's going to come with an A-team. Oh, yeah. absolutely. And again, I, I just don't think that when he was having that conversation, he meant it like verbatim, like, yo, man, do this for me. Go kill these motherfuckers and I'll give you a million bucks. Right? We agree? I don't think it was like that. I was like, man, what the fuck's happening with this shit? Suge's all, you know, breathing down my back. And you, you know, that's why you guys are around is to protect me from these people. Do something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like a simple example is like, say you're calling my girl. I say, Greg, if you call her one more time, I'm going to come there and fucking kill you. Right. Now, I'm not actually going to come kill you, but I say it on the phone or to somebody else in front of you. That's, you're, that's what you're kind of portraying. That, yeah, this, right. Exactly. 
Okay, that that makes sense. Yeah. I, I still think he was more involved, even though you're okay. the head detective. I'm telling, I'm telling the fucking I'm, this peanut moron here is telling the head detective that I still think he has something to do with it. But I believe it. Yeah, I I did. I just I don't see it. Yeah. You know why I thought he did mm-hmm. so bad? You know, later on after I got older and over the whole Shug shot me bullshit with the mm-hmm. Machiavelli, is because prior to you know we're gonna get into the Biggie case. And then you can explain to me where I'm wrong okay. on what I, you know, what I seen. But I always thought it was Diddy because, you know, prior to Tupac and Biggie passing away, Diddy was just that guy going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. He, you know, they go, boom. He makes that song with Faith Evans, mm-hmm. right? He blows up. Now he's got a clothing label. Record comes out, sells millions and millions of copies of that. Then he now he's got a TV channel he had i think he owns the breakfast club because it's on that revolt right so when i was looking at it from an outsider i'm like okay well tupac's dead okay he's gone biggie was bad boy right yeah little c's whatever little kim biggie was bad boy right you he's gone he's gone boom there's diddy now he's a fucking billionaire or almost a billionaire right if they're not dead diddy maybe may have a lot of money but he's not going to be that this celebrity guy with the clothing line and everything. That's what I was thinking. Hmm. Why not? Because Biggie would overshadow overshadowed him. So you're going to release a Biggie album, and then you're going to release a P Diddy album. Well, who's going to make the most money, the CEO or the artist? Uh, I, well, the, the CEO he, makes the more. Of the so money. he would have continued to capitalize on Biggie. Biggie well, might have rose to be more in the public's eye you know, more popular, but behind the scenes is the guy, you know, who owns the music. I'm just playing devil's advocate. And yeah. Kind of play, but, but he just still would have been the uh-huh, uh-huh guy. You know, would he have dated Jennifer Lopez if Biggie was around? I don't know, maybe. That's another fucked up case. Right? <laughs> I'll hit you with that one. Yeah. Get through Biggie. Uh, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't got, um, I don't like or dislike him. I don't appreciate him because of the fact that he didn't fully cooperate with the investigation. So I don't respect him for that. Um, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going. Like it. I want to be convinced that somebody's guilty of something before I allude to the idea that they're guilty of something. And that's why you're so good, really. Because, like, uh, no offense, but you know, Pool. Mm-hmm. It seemed to me like he would do a case. This is just my opinion. You. You know, I'm not bad mouthing anybody. It just, it just seems maybe. He took what he got, slapped it together. Okay, this is what happened. Boom, on to the next one. That's kind of how it seemed to me. Whereas you seem like I don't have any. I don't have anything bad to say about Diddy. I don't have anything good to say about Diddy. Wish he would have cooperated or helped us out more. But because I don't have solid facts, I'm not going to sit here and say he did do this or he did do that. Yeah, you're a factual investigator, not like some of these other investigators yeah because it's it's you know it i think that it's important you know as a cop obviously to find the guilty party but also exonerate the innocently accused you know because that happens too and we don't fully take time to appreciate the kind of turmoil that that can create in a person's life you know just by reputation just by you know the illusion you've got a reputation even if it's untrue that negatively affects everything else you do in your life. 
so when you go through it, you go first. You try to disprove anything that's provable, right? Is that how you go about your investigation? Kind of like the scientific method, yeah. And you see, you build a theory and then you try to disprove it, mm-hmm. right? And if you can, then you can set aside that theory. So it's really just about disproving it in, instead of proving it, right? Right. Okay. So now we go to Biggie. So now he grows up different than Tupac, right? Mm-hmm. He's not moving around a lot. He's small-time, mid-time drug dealer, rapper. Is that right? Yeah. Good family. Okay. Mm-hmm. How does he get into Bad Boy? H- how does that start? It's just talent. You know, he's out there on the streets. He's just spitting out his his, his uh, lyrics, and he's got this incredible flow, you know. And I've, I'm not a you know fan of rap music, so I can't really articulate what people appreciate in him but i do understand that this is what brought attention to him is he had this ability to be very lyrical and in in a way that was very nice on the ears um but he's hustling too you know he's just a kid in in uh in new york in the suburbs of new york single mom and he just wants to he's looking around at these guys that are driving in the nice cars and have the money and the nice clothes it's like, how do I get that? So he's like peddling a little dope, makes some extra money, but he's also got this talent. And then that talent begins to kind of um, blossom until it's recognized by Diddy and others. Yeah. We're like, hey, man, we can, because, you know, all they do is like, yeah, that talent, <laughs> I want to be part of that. Right. I can capitalize on that. So that's what happens. Is that the only record label that he was ever signed to? As far as I know, yeah. It wasn't? Okay. Mm-hmm. So now he's with Bad Boy. These, you know, we just went through Tupac. They were friends. Everybody was cool. The five shots that starts the beef, and then Shug's bodyguard, more beef, the whole thing. Right. So Biggie and Biggie never really said anything back. If if, if I'm correct, it was that song "Who Shot You." Mm-hmm. Was that toward Tupac, or was that just the song? So there's there's some there's some you know two opinions of thought on that there's uh the one people that think that it was directly related to the incident at the quad studio who shot you like mocking him who shot you and then the defense of that is that 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 had been recorded before that that incident happened i don't know what's true um but the timing of it certainly was suspicious you know he gets shot and then this record's released and it seems to be mocking the incident so yeah, I don't know. I guess you could it's go a stra- either way. It's a strange coincidence. But the fact would, ultimately, the proof would be, was it actually recorded prior to that taking place? And if so, then there it is. There it is. There was no intent. And if and if that's so, then that would be a perfect time to release it financially. Right. Right? Right. It would, it would be a great business move. Maybe uh, risky. Absolutely. I mean, I don't really want Suge Knight coming out. Oh. But he's already coming anyway. Well, you know, the, yeah, it, you know. The conflict sells. Yeah. And if you can create that conflict then, you know, you're, everyone benefits. So now, uh, Russell Poole, now he's got the case, mm-hmm. okay? He's investigating it. Um, Biggie and Puff Daddy and their whole crew, Pac's dead. Six months later, they go out to L.A. From what I read, and you have yeah. the files, not me, everybody was telling them, do not go to L.A. Yeah, there was a sense of impending doom. But they had a false sense of security because now Suge's in jail because after what happened in Las Vegas, he has his probation violated. Pac's dead. And so they figure, okay, maybe this whole thing has just kind of played itself out. 
we need to go to LA. We need to promote this album. We need to expand. We can't just be an East Coast, you know, record label. We need to. And so they got a false sense of security and came out here, even though people were saying, like, hey, man, it's still enemy territory. It's still hostile. Yeah, I, I think it was uh, hypnotized. But little do they know. And this was a good move by you. Wait till you hear this, Rob. <laughs> so little do they know, Suge Knight is in county jail. Right. Right at the time. Right. Six months after. Pac is dead. Right. They go to LA. Suge Knight is having a woman come in who's mm -hmm. acting as legal defense. Correct. So that they can have a confidential uh, visit where it's not recorded or anything like exactly. that. Exactly. But really, she's not legal defense. Has nothing to do with his. Yeah. Suge Knight is asking this woman, confidential woman, because she's mm -hmm. operated, right? Mm -hmm. uh, he's asking this woman to go to a guy named Poochie. Right. And ask Poochie how much would it cost? You know, can you to take care of Biggie or Diddy? It was Biggie. It yeah. was Biggie. Yeah, because she when we had this conversation with her, and again, it was like very same set of circumstances as it was with Keefe D. He's being compelled to tell the truth because it's in their best interest to tell the truth because they're facing time. And in her situation, not only facing time but having her children taken away and potentially put in foster care. So there was a lot on the table for her to. To absorb and then to consider and respond to and so she never says anything about diddy you know the specific thing is focused on biggie and um and i think because it was Pac that was shot and biggie was essentially his you know east coast mirror image um i think that that's why biggie was targeted oh and more importantly this is the crux of it all is that after Pac was shot in las vegas Again, a rumor begins to circulate that it was Biggie who had hired the Southside Crips, who had shot Pac, that it was Biggie who was in Las Vegas at the time of the shooting, that it was Biggie that provided the gun. Oh, shit. So this rumor is now circulating in Los Angeles and, you know, amongst the, the gangsters. And, of course, Suge would have heard this same rumor that, yo, Biggie set the shit up. Biggie had Pac shot. Biggie provided the gun. Biggie hired these dudes. And so Biggie ultimately begins is, is the target of the retaliation. And then the way you get her to talk, not only on the case, and this is the killer part. Don't mm -hmm. worry about that. The, the hum will take it out. Um, so you go to her with a signed letter from Poochie acting as if he confessed, but he never did confess. Right. It was a fictional letter. We drafted <laughs> it up. Because, you know, we had already had a couple of just um, preliminary meetings with her. We first went to her house and did a search warrant and got some uh, evidence that was going to create a problem not only for her, but for her brother who lived with her, who was a parolee. And then we met with her and we're like, hey, you're going to have a bunch of problems with the IRS. We've discovered all this fraud that you've committed. And then finally, it's like, all right, here's really why we're here. We want to know what you know about, um, about the, uh, the Biggie murder. And she just breaks down, and we realize that, like, she's scared. Like, she's legitimately just like, what the fuck should I do, you know? She's weighing her options. And we thought the best thing that oftentimes to get people to talk is to let them think that somebody else already has. And they're not the ones that are, you know, opening the door. The door's already open, and now they're just going through it because someone else. So this is the psychological games we often play. It's like, well, hold on. Let's figure out a way to get her to be comfortable talking. So we like, let's just say that Biggie already confessed to this shit. 
So we draft up this letter. It was a declaration that, you know, Biggie's dead at this. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm saying Biggie. I mean uh, Poochie. Poochie, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Um, so we draft up this letter saying that Poochie had already written a letter and given it to his attorney. And in the event of his death, this was his dying declaration type of thing. And we present it to her. And she's just like, you see your eyes just like, holy smokes, man. They do. They know. And you're thinking in your head, bingo, <laughs> right? Exactly. And so she reads it and her, she pushes it back across the table and she goes, that's exactly what happened. You know, and we're like, well, all right, well, those are just kind of like um, bullet points. We need to know in your own words. what. And then she tells us about the meetings at the jail. She went under the false pretense that she was a legal aide so that nobody could monitor the conversations. And so she fills in all the blanks. And we're like, all right, this is legit. Good move by Shug. Yeah. It was a good move. Yeah. Well, it's probably his attorney. It's probably David Kenner who thought, the, you know. Of that idea. Yeah, because <laughs> according to her, he was just sitting right over there. <laughs> so the attorney's over there just like, I don't want to hear anything. Yeah, he's like, I don't want to be a part of this shit, right? <laughs> yeah. So um, pull up the picture of uh, the, the people involved with uh, Biggie. Uh, so now, and then the, go back to Russ. So now, the reason you might even end up with the the Biggie case is because he writes the book, mm-hmm. and then the LAPD gets sued for four hundred million, right? Right, mm-hmm. and then the case gets thrown in your lap, right? <laughs> Lucky you. So he's <laughs> so you get killed with this shit fucking Tupac case. That's enough. Then this guy fucks everything up pretty much. He here's the irony of that, and this is really an interesting irony. Had he not gone off on his, you know, his theory and written a book and then that book ultimately captured the public's imagination and land on some civil rights attorney's desk and that that attorney reads it and goes, man, this is a great lawsuit. I'm going to call Valletta. Hey, Valletta, let's sue the LAPD. Look, I got it here. And, you know, and so it's a really strange irony that if he had not done that and there had not been a lawsuit filed based on his theory we would never have gotten involved. So the lawsuit led to the second investigation which solved the case, which would never had happened. Had he not written the had book. Had he not, yeah. And you got sued, and the LAPD got sued. Yeah. Did How much did the LAPD end up paying out? Not Anything a dime, not a really? single dime. Because, a, because of uh, Mr. Beast Mode Greg? Well, there, we had something to do with it, but what actually happened um, was the lawsuit was filed in like 2001, 2002. It works its way in and out of the courts for years. 2006, we get involved. We get involved because um, the judge says during some preliminary or during some pretrial hearings, like, wow, well, this could potentially cost the city $400 million. Like, this off-the-cuff comment. And the city's like, whoa, whoa slow down. We're going we're gonna to put a you know, full, uh, you know, full, 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 full press on this. And so as the years go by, because that's 2006, we end up doing our investigation independent of the civil case. The civil case is still battling out in court. We're doing our own second independent investigation. Well, that 400 million keeps getting reduced and reduced and reduced and reduced and reduced because they can't make any headway in their allegations. They're dismissing people. All of their witnesses are falling off the tracks. It gets down to 2 million. It comes down to $2 million. 400 to $2 million. To two. Yeah. And the plaintiffs, Valletta Wallace's attorneys, basically are just trying to reclaim the money that they had already lost trying to pursue this case. So they're just trying to get back what they'd spent. And the city says, nope, we aren't settling for a dime. 
Let's go to trial. That's how confident the city was in being able to disprove the allegations about the cops being involved. Meanwhile, we're over here doing our case, and we come up and go, hey, by the way, we've got somebody confessing to actually being involved, and it has nothing to do with these allegations that are being made in court. There's no dirty cops. And so they find out, well, now they've got an ace in their hole. They've got a confessing co-conspirator directly involved. All of our allegations will never be able to make it happen in court. And so they, re- they retract their lawsuit against the city. And the whole thing just becomes a huge waste of time. And then you get it. No, we'd already had it. You already had it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is it solved yet? Well, it is. I mean, it's in, in, in actually, um, Valletta Wallace's attorney said it best. He's like, hey, this isn't unsolved. It's unprosecuted. Because by the time we figured all this out, it's an unprosecutable case, just as just as uh, Tupac's is. You know, everyone's dead. You got one surviving co-conspirator, and it's going to be very tough to make a case just based on that, right? You're not going to be able to use Keefe D to testify against, you know, Puffy Combs, right? He's going to get murdered. Well, he's just, he's... He, not, mur- not actually murder. I mean, in uh, yeah. court, he's going to get buried. Absolutely. Yeah. And the same thing with Suge's baby mama, the one who's involved in the conspiracy. She goes to court, and she's just going to get torn up on the stand. Yeah, they'll pull up her past and just bury her. Yeah. So now you got Pooch, right? That's Poochie. Yeah, that's he, Pooch. He's the trigger man. He's the trigger that man. Suge has his girlfriend or a girl that comes in to visit with the lawyer, mm-hmm. contact the guy in the yellow... He pops uh, Biggie Smalls. Right there, Eugene, and that's when I pull up the tab three and four. You have Eugene, who was a security guard who I brought up earlier, saying that the trick, the the hit was supposed to be on Biggie. And what Eugene says is that Eugene Deal, G- Eugene Deal, what mm-hmm. a weird name, say that five times. Yeah. Right? Says that. They were at this is it, and you can tell he's full of shit. We, that's Part. why we call him the genie. Yeah, the genie. That's yeah, a good name for him. yeah, because just more and more smoke comes out of the bottle the more you rub it. Because the first one you see, you're like, oh wow, okay, that kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then the second one is different than the third one, and, and kind of like fucking what Keefe D's doing right now. Yeah, exactly. What he says on Vlad TV is different than what he says on another one. Yeah, plus I can't fucking understand him anyway. I don't know how you. <laughs> he, he's tough to listen. It's for them. It's an evolving story, and it continues to evolve. But at the end of the day, if you notice, with each step in this evolution, they're trying to justify their actions and make themselves even more like, uh, you know, you know, Keefe D. In his mind, he's a street legend. And so he's just promoting the idea that he's a street legend. And I think Eugene Deal is just trying to stay relevant. And in, as long as he has something new to offer, he's going to be relevant. Say right there. He says he snitched on Shine. Okay, go to the next tab. Right there, P. Diddy may have been the real target of, of notorious B.I.G. shooting leaked by FBI files reviewed. Now, you know that's not true. Well, look at who published it. It's The Sun. The Sun. <laughs> yeah. Our, our, so this our, is, our other friend hates and this, the Sun, so. this too. This is just tabloid, you know. B.S., yeah. Tabloid B.S. Um, Diddy, wasn't, Diddy wasn't targeted based on any of the evidence in the case. None at all. None at all. You can speculate that he was targeted, but there's no evidence to support it. So what this guy, Eugene Deal, says, right? Mm-hmm. He, his, the, the newest one is that they were at that club in L.A. 
you know, the three cars were there, mm-hmm. okay? Biggie and uh, P. Diddy, Diddy, they walk out. Mm-hmm. Eugene says, come here to Diddy. He says, hey, look, it's going down tonight. Don't don't get in the car. It's going down. Okay, that Biggie, okay. I, I, you know, because mm-hmm. it's changed so many times. I'm just mm-hmm. telling you the, the last one. Okay. And what a lot of my friends actually fucking believe. So then... P. Diddy gets, supposedly, now we know it's not true, right? So, supposedly, P. Diddy gets word that there's a hit out tonight on on him and Biggie, whatever, right? So, supposedly, Biggie wants to go meet these girls. So, P. Diddy says, go ahead, go ahead. That P. Diddy was supposed to be in the car that Biggie was in. Biggie leaves because P. Diddy goes back in because Eugene tells him there's a hit. P. Diddy gets in the second car, right? Behind... Uh, Big E and Little C's. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. So Eugene is saying that the reason why he ended up in the second car was because P. Diddy knew that there was going to be a hit on the first car that night. That's his newest one. (laughs) Yeah. You know what the problem with these guys uh, is that, A, they forget that they've already participated in multiple recorded conversations, right? So you have, you've, you've got this stuff um, you know, not only documented, but y- you have these recorded conversations, right? And back when it mattered, back when this type of information actually mattered. And they don't mention any of this. You know, this is all just 25 years later. Let me just add some sugar on this story. None of this happened. There's no evidence to support it all. And so the, and the other thing is that they don't realize that you've got multiple witnesses, so if any of these things were taking place that you're now, you know, suggesting took place, why doesn't everybody else, you know, have the same memory? You know, none of this stuff occurred um, because it would have been discussed back then. It was relevant then. But now that it's not relevant, you can just basically say whatever you want and hope that people buy it. And most people typically don't know enough about the case to refute it. They're like, oh, well, it's Eugene Deal. He was there. We must... Must be true. Must be true. And then he gets fame. He gets his 10 minutes on ABC or, mm-hmm. or whatever, or TMZ, right? You know? So, now, Keefe D, he was actually in both places at the same time. I he, mean, I mean, both merged. Yeah. Keefe D was there. So, he was... area. Yeah, he was just around the corner from when his nephew got stomped by Tupac and the rest of the, on, the death row entourage. He was off... He's in the car, obviously, when Tupac was shot and killed. He was in the assailant's car. And provided the gun, and then the night that Biggie was killed, he was actually at the Peterson Auto Muse- Automotive Museum, and had walked up to Diddy and uh, and uh, Biggie and the rest of the crew, and said, "Hey, you know, there's a bunch of death row motherfuckers in here. Y'all need some security." <laughs> and they're like, "No, we're good. We think we're good because again, false sense of security. Shug's in prison. Tupac's dead. Everything's cool." To uh, D's like the vibe in here. I can see what's going on. Y'all need. And they're like, no, we're good. And so they were vulnerable and they got taken advantage of because Pucci was just outside waiting. We think there was most likely somebody else involved. We've never identified that person because he was already, I think, in his vehicle. Somebody had to point out where the target was. And so there's probably somebody involved that we've not yet identified as a, as a, a secondary um, like a spotter. Right, right. So basically, Suge... Gets the girl to come in, arranges the hit 
with Poochie. Poochie's mm-hmm. the trigger man, kills Biggie. Mm-hmm. That that's the case in a nutshell, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. I think Poochie was directly involved in this thing. It made a lot of sense because Poochie had a long history of, you know, gang violence and had done other type of, you know, contractual work for Suge before. And so it, it made a lot of sense. He fit right into the profile of who your shooter would be. We don't have nobody's ever identified him there. Um, and he's dead, so it's it, you know it's not like we can go press up on him. But it, of all collective information in the case, it's the most viable working theory. Right, right. Yeah. Tupac's is pretty, you know, cut and dry. Cut and dry. That's obvious. His there's a variable there, and we don't know who the other person could have been. Now, you were saying prior to you getting the case. Russell Poole, what was he, had a proffer and he just fell over? Heart heart attack? Yeah, so Russ, after he left the LAPD, he had kind of this spiral downhill, ran into a lot of financial problems, um, ran into marital problems, had a drinking problem, just kind of, you know, he just kind of, I think he loved being a cop. And I think he realized that he walked away prematurely and could never regain that ground. You know, he had the kind of pride of being this LAPD robbery homicide detective. Now he's working over at the courthouse as a guard. And um, everything's falling apart on him. Another thing that was playing into his his kind of his mental uh, st- stability, for lack of a better term, was that during this time he's involved in the Biggie's investigation, his brother had literally just walked off the face of his of the earth. He had a brother named Gary. And he just walked away, never to be seen again. And so he was desperately trying to find his missing brother. He was having an affair with a girl at the office. All these things were happening in his life. And he'd gotten in trouble because he had allowed this girl to drive his company car, which he'd been told, you know, directly. You know, these these cars are not to be used for personal use. He got caught. So all these things kind of all started to fall apart on him. So he leaves the job. He's disgruntled. He thinks that he's figured it out and that the LAPD is kind of pushing him out the door. And he just continues to digress until, you know, um, real quick. What happens is years go by. He's got a little bit of notoriety because of the book. He's going to be a witness in the civil case, and is uh, um, he stumbles upon some information that that then t- kind of encourages to get him to get back into the case. He gets some information, and starts to pursue it, but he changes his entire theory again, and then he goes to try to sell this idea to Las Vegas PD, to the LAPD, and ultimately to the sheriff's department that Suge was never actually a suspect in it that Suge was always the victim. Oh, God. That it was actually Suge's wife, Sharitha, and that it was Reggie Wright Jr., his head of security, that were trying to take him out so that they could take over the record label, and that he was actually a victim of this conspiracy. Suge Knight was a victim. So this is Russ Poole's new perspective on things. And so no one's listening. Vegas doesn't want to talk about it. LAPD doesn't want to talk about it. So he goes to the sheriffs. He's like, hey, you guys have Suge Knight locked up for this vehicle manslaughter. Here's what I think. He's got the keys to these two unsolved cases. Give him a break on his pending charges, and uh, we can you know, deal with him and get him to tell us what he knows about the Biggie and Tupac murder. 
And the sheriffs are like, fuck that. We ain't giving Suge Knight any breaks for anything. And this is their, you know, talk to Vegas, talk to LAPD. Sheriff's Department, we don't have those. And I think he just realized he's at the end of his road, personally. This is what I, he's in there, he's having a conversation. They're like, nope, we're not buying it. We ain't dealing with it. And he's just, he seizes up, has a heart attack and dies right there. Fuck. Well, you know, stress will kill you, right? It will, especially, yeah. And and speaking of Shogun, and you brought up him running over the guy. Mm-hmm. Before that, and I missed the part I wanted to ask you, don't you think that this is absolutely insane, okay? Now, I'm flopping back to Tupac. Okay. So, so what? Fuck it. It's our show. We do whatever we want, right? Flop back. Fuck him. So now, when when Shug gets uh, violated for probation for kicking Orlando Anderson, right? Right. Okay? Tupac is dead. He has to know that Orlando Anderson killed Tupac. He has to know, right? He's in the street. He's got to know. Absolutely. Okay? And then he goes to Orlando Anderson and offers him... 16 to 6 offered him 60 grand right. to testify that Suge didn't kick him. Now, this is a guy that Suge knows just killed his top guy. Mm-hmm. He goes to him knowing this, offering him money right. to say that he that that kick never happened at the MGM. It didn't hold up. He got fucked anyway. Right. But isn't that fucking insane? Well, think about what's on the table. So Suge Knight is looking at going back to prison for the better part of a decade. Right. Once he gets his probation violated, unless he can figure out how to get out of this mess, the best you know the best card he can play is like let have the victim come in and say that I was actually trying to break it up, that I'm actually trying to help. And because what's on Tupac's gone, we've already lost him. But can I save death row and all that comes with it and myself? Because I can't do eight years and death row is not going to hang on its own. And everything that we have is going to just get flushed down the toilet. And so if I have to make a deal with the devil and, you know, have him come testify falsely that I was actually trying to save him instead of assault him, that's, that's Suge Knight in a nutshell. Self-preservation. <laughs> no loyalty. None. None. No. Suge Knight could have solved Tupac's murder that night. All he had to do was tell the detectives, man, the motherfuckers, that was the that was Keefe D. I've known him since I was a kid. I looked right in his eyes. I've seen them coming. That was Keefe D in the car. And that would have it would have been it. They would have had all the evidence they needed right then to go make arrests. So Suge Knight could have solved it that night. He chose not to, in his own words, you know, I don't get paid to solve crimes. So for him to then go and spend $60,000 to save his own ass, that's just his character. To, to me, that's just terrible. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I understand. You know, he's looking at 10 years, but no loyalty. I don't know. Me and Rob and, and you seem we're old school, you know. I couldn't do that. I Hell. couldn't. I couldn't. No, I couldn't be in the same room with the guy. Hell no. They just killed a friend of mine? Or like, like your partner that you were with. Did you have the same partner in both cases? Um... So yes, same guy. Well, we had we were a huge task force. It wasn't just me. I often tell this story as if, you know, it was my story. There was sixteen of us. Uh, my primary partner was a guy named Darren Dupree, but there was ATF agents, FBI agents, DEA agents, sheriff's department personnel. We had a huge, massive task force. You know, all worked 
collectively on this case. So, you know, I'm out here kind of acting like it was it was a concerted effort by a lot of people. And I'm just happened to be the kind of the mouthpiece of it. Did everybody get along? No. No, a lot of bickering? No, not a lot of bickering, but we didn't certainly all get along. There was a couple of us had different ideas about things and different ways of doing things, but that's the nature of, you know, if you worked with 16 different people, you'd have different relationships with all of them, some of them better than others. So, yeah, but we all did our jobs, I think, for the most part, and um, all wanted the same objective. Right, and now you were able, in the Biggie case, to go speak to... uh uh, Biggie's mother, Valletta. Yeah, Valletta. Mm-hmm. She she was heavy. She was heavy in in getting that done. Yeah. So yeah, she's been victimized over and over. She was victimized a by the loss of her son, victimized b over the false narrative that Russell Poole pitched and and believed it, victimized by the attorneys who were trying to sell that case because you know their their ultimate motive is to get money. You get the Los Angeles Police Department to settle for you for $100 million, $200 million. That's really what's driving you, not necessarily the truth behind the case. So she's just constantly, constantly being taken advantage of and uh, never got, um, she never got the actual treatment that she deserved, which was just a, a hard, true police investigation to come up with the answers that she deserves. Now, did you go physically talk to her? And, and tell her, look, hey, you know, I can't prosecute it, but I've solved it. Yeah, I went and we, me and my wife actually flew to Pennsylvania and went up to her house and um, sat down. She was very gracious, allowed us in and had a conversation. And, you know, I told her, I said, this is just some gang bullshit. And your son got wrapped up in it. There's a lot of rumors and a lot of, you know, uh, misinformation. And your son just got caught up in the middle of it and um this is who shot your son this is why and unfortunately no one's ever going to be prosecuted what was her reaction when you told her that well, we were in tears at that point in time because of some of the other revelations um that uh that we spoke about because of the misinformation and that she had been given um you know through through the process of the lawsuit she had things that she believed to be true that we that we um, that we corrected, and I think that was all very hard to you know just like man all these years I you know I just think it's hard to be wrong about something that's so important, right? And then accept that you're wrong about something that's so important, and then also kind of feel a sense of betrayal. Like I should have been better prepared for this because if I had all the if if attorneys had not been involved in this and I was just dealing with the detectives directly. Um, things would have been more transparent. Right. Do you think it brought closure to her, though? Yeah, I really don't know. Um, I think she's still somewhat confused because these conspiracy theories just keep getting, you know... um, It's a mind fuck. ...exacerbated. It's a mind fuck. I really have no idea if she's settled in with any truth. Well, I mean, you should be very proud that you were able to solve it, even though you can't prosecute it. At least you can go to them and say, look, this is who did it. I hope this brings you closure, you know, and you worked your ass off. All those. I mean, how long does it take to go through all that shit? Yeah. So there's a couple of different things that I always look at this. um, You know, what is true justice? And, yeah, you can have people held accountable through the judicial process 
send them to prison for the rest of their lives. But the reality is, is that that dude right there got shot and killed in the same manner that he executed Biggie. Fucci? Riding his motorcycle up Central Avenue, 10 times shot in the back. Cold blood, just blown up on the streets, just like Biggie. Tupac, same. He's got, you know, guy drives up, shoots him. Well, Orlando Anderson standing in a parking lot full of bullets. And so, you know, the, isn't that the most perfect justice? Yeah. That, you know, you it's an eye for an eye. Yeah. That's what I said, old school. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's old I mean, school. But, you, you know, th- this shit happens, and it's just so... I can't imagine being... Tupac's mom or Biggie's mom because you're you're getting in from so much different information all the time right and you're emotionally upset you know it's your son what who do you believe what do you believe then you come along well is this real or is this another guy you know right I mean it it's it's got to be tough and what what did Feeney die of um you know I'm not sure exactly what she died of I think it was something natural something, something natural yeah, yeah I don't think that uh now, how about the uh, Frank uh, Liga, is that how you say his name? Mm-hmm. And Kevin Gaines? Yeah. Well, they, they get in a road rage. Yeah. This is some fucked up shit. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. They get in a road rage, and Liga shoots Gaines, right? Correct. Okay? And then you guys find out that Gaines is driving an Impala. No, a uh, Mitsubishi Montero. Montero. An SUV. Yep. Okay. That's registered to Suge Knight's wife. Correct. Sharitha. <laughs> Take me through that. Yeah, so <laughs> this fuck? this incident happens. Frank Liga is a just a, he's an undercover cop. He's now, got, excuse me, I'm sorry, Greg. Yeah. When you get to this part, mm-hmm. I mean, you've already that. I mean, your head's got to be like, Jesus, <laughs> fuck, right? I mean, come on. Well, that's what happened. That, that's why these conspiracy theories just fester because there's all these really strange events that you can kind of tie together loosely. Like, wait a minute. So this cop shoots another cop who's black, who's driving a car, who's registered to Suge Knight's wife, and we already know that cops are working for death row, and it starts to all blend itself into this, like, oh, I can see this, yeah. And you gotta be like, holy shit, right? Even as a detective after 20 years, I mean, this still has to be like, whoa. And and that's what I think happened to Russ, with Russ Poole. He saw this, whoa, this is all just too strange to be coincidence. There's gotta be something here. But at the end of the day, sometimes strange coincidence happens. And so, you know, you've got you've got Sharitha, who at this point in time is estranged. She'd gotten pulled over by Kevin Gaines when he's working a black and white. He pulls her over, he sees some girls. This is what Gaines kind of did. And a lot of cops have done this. You know, use their position to kind of hook up with... So he pulls her over, he starts sweet-talking her, she finds him attractive, and the next thing you know, they're dating. And so he's fucking crazy. Suge Knight's wife. I don't care if Suge said okay or not. Fuck that. There's plenty of other girls out there. Not that guy. That, not, I'm not dealing with that guy. So my my old partner Darren Dupree used to work some of the clubs up in Hollywood, and he knew Gaines. And Gaines would sometimes come to the club and be aware that like Suge would be there, and he'd ask Darren like, "Suge Knight here?" And Darren would be like, "Yeah, he is." And he's like, "Man, what do you?" Do you think I should go introduce myself to him? Should I know? Darren's like, no, you should probably just leave that alone. <laughs> you should probably uh, yeah. go to the club down the street. <laughs> yeah, so, um, the, yeah, Gaines just happens. To, you know, he had he had several incidents of road rage prior to that, you know, the one that ended up taking his life. You know, he just, 
you know, carried that gun and that badge too heavy. And uh, sees, you know, comes across a guy that he, in his mind, probably is like, wow, oh, this fucking Peckerwood, you know, this long-haired, dirty-looking dude. And they're, and the, of course, the white cop's like, what are you looking at, motherfucker? Yeah, look, at, pull up, I think it's slide 11, 10 or 11. Be, now, when you say road rage, what do you mean road rage? So, you know, the, he had other um, incidents where people had said that, uh, you know, he pulled over and either pointed a gun at him or tried to run him off the road or said something, and they get his license plate. So, of course, they then call police, hey, some guy on the freeway, you know, pointed a gun at me, some guy threatened me, whatever. That gets reported. We got a plate, and he ties back to gain. So he had prior, you know, confrontations on the road. So now when this thing happens with Frank Liga and you look at it as a singular event, you're like, okay, what, what do you know? But when you have this background, you're like, okay, most likely the, the, you know, the, uh, the agitator is likely going to be Gaines, right? Because he's got a history of it. Frank Liga tells a story, and he's the, last, he's the only surviving witness to this thing, basically. It's like, I'm driving down the road. This guy's looking at me. I'm looking at him. He says something. He tells me, pull over. I'm going to kick your ass. So Frank pulls over. Well, unbeknownst to, to uh, um, Gaines, Frank's got, you know, his car mic, right? He's an undercover cop, and so he pushes his foot. Oh, shit. Yeah, so he pushes his, his um, foot mic. He's like, hey, guys, I'm having a problem on the highway here. Come back me up. So other narcotic guys that are working with him are starting to respond. Like, what's going on, Frank? It's like, ah, some guy over here is giving, you know. And uh, so Frank pulls over. And as soon as as uh, Gaines pulls over, Frank then takes off again. So he gives the guy the impression like, yeah, let's get out and handle this. And, of course, once Gaines pulls over, Frank takes off. Now Gaines starts chasing him. And as soon as Gaines pulls up and he has a gun in his hand, Frank's like, oh, I'm not waiting for that. And he puts a couple rounds into, into Gaines. And Gaines crashes into a, you know, into a gas station. And, and Gaines is on the left, like is on the right. Yeah, so that's Kevin Gaines. And he was uh, dating Sharitha. <laughs> Frank Liga working dope. And they run into each other on the highway and nobody was backing down. And uh, nobody prosecuted in that? No. no, because it's self-defense, right? Yeah, it was right. considered a justifiable shooting. Fuck. Yeah. What, what crazy twists and turns out there in L.A., boy. Well, yeah, you, the last thing you want to be is a cop who shoots another cop, you know, regardless. I don't think Frank ever thought of this as a proud moment. No. But it's just a situation that, unfortunately, you know... Mirror you, right? Unavoidable, yeah. Yeah. So... And, yeah. then, and then I guess the last thing really was Shug was when he was at the wing stop and ran over the guy. Ran over in front and then backed up. What was it, Gary Gray? F. Gary Gray was the guy's name? Well, so the guy, what happened was, you know, the, the Straight out of Compton movie was being filmed. And Shug was aware of the fact that there was going to be a portrayal of his character. And he thought that he should be compensated for that. So he's appearing up on the set. And the people on the set are like, no, man. <laughs> we don't need that drama here. F. Gary Gray doesn't need your threats. We don't need any of your... So they say that's leave. So him and uh, okay, a guy named Claybone Sloan, who works in the movie industry, but he's also from the streets, says, hey, let's go down the street or talk about this somewhere else. So they decide to go down to a hamburger stand in Compton. And uh, um, there's a guy named Terry Carter who also kind of acted on the streets as a, one of those kind of like fixers, intermediaries. So Terry Carter was a friend of Suge's. He's also a friend of everybody else. 
and he's going to go down there and help mediate this problem. Well, when Sloan gets there and Suge pulls up, they immediately go at it. Sloan's starting punching Suge. And yeah, he, yeah, Sloan punches him. I mean, he gives him some knockers, right? Yeah. The, they have the video on YouTube. We can't play it. If you do your podcast, which you should do. Okay. Okay. Uh, once you get, uh, I say it wrong all the time, monetized, monetized, this guy, Matt Cox. Okay. This big frog guy. He's going to tear me apart because I say it wrong. Basically, when you get paid from YouTube. Monetize. Monetize. See, I said it wrong again. 113 <laughs> videos I say it wrong every fucking time. So if I play YouTube, okay, mm-hmm. now let's just say you'll get a ton, right? Okay. You'll get a million views, all right? Okay. So on that million, I'll, I'll break it down for you, like what the thing is later. So say you get a million views and you play 10 seconds of somebody else's YouTube video. I learned this the hard way. Guess who the money goes to? The other person. Really? So right now, if I went to play something on Tupac or Biggie or Gaines or Eugene Deal or Keefe D from Vlad or which I would have loved to just to. So I have a question. So why doesn't that fall under fair use for like documentary purposes? I don't know. Because that's how we get away with it in documentary. People get away with it in documentaries is that you get you claim fair use. You get up to like ten or fifteen seconds um, of a video clip because you're showing something relevant that has historical value, so that it falls under this fair use law. I'm surprised that doesn't apply to podcasts. I mean, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, they don't care. I'm talking specifically um, YouTube. Okay. The other ones don't care. Okay, but YouTube. Um, which pay the most unless you're Joe Rogan okay. you know, or the other they signed some girl for shit more than him which I'm sure he's not very happy about that but uh, on here if you I mean you could contact like I could contact you Greg right and mm-hmm. say hey Greg can I use this one minute bit from your podcast then I can email that to YouTube but now I got you scheduled coming in on the 4th right? right if you don't reply to me by the 4th then I'm going to get a strike. And what they do is they say, you know, this is a strike. It's 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 worded differently. But basically, any fund you make is going to go to Greg Caden. If I play any of it, it happens, right, Rob? Happened twice. Yeah, I think I think the only thing, too, you'd have to do is it, it have to contact him, say, can I use this, and then put courtesy of yeah, in you, the text. But it's, but it, it's a whole process because I would have yeah. to reach out to you. You don't even know me. Do you have authority to use these? Yeah. <laughs> Not YouTube. Not YouTube. So when you do your podcast, which I'm going to talk for to the you record, too. full authority. Full authority. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> but when you do it, stay away from that YouTube. Okay. Because it will, good to know. And it will be a good one. Of course, it will be the one good one yeah. that, that it, you know, blows up. And then it'll all go to some schmuck that you Shug- really don't want Shug- to have. Sugar will get it. Yeah. No, Vlad will get it uh, while he's on his iPad. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, hey, Vlad's killing it. Hey, got to give him respect. I don't know how he does it on the iPad, but I heard he's a CI. That's why he does it on the iPad. Uh, yeah, Who knows? Not more conspiracy bullshit. Yeah. Vlad's He'd be dead by now. They, they'd whack his ass. He's just a smart guy. Vlad's not dumb. He figured he got in on this stuff early. Yeah. You know, he ended capitalizing it, especially in the hip hop and the, you know, in the, um, genre that he's familiar with and he i think he's a smart guy yeah yeah i'm just i'm just yeah yeah and i he look he built an empire yeah you know i mean how can you knock him doesn't matter how and he got it to and he did it interviewing people on an ipad even more impressive it is i just don't like it because i can't ever see him you know so it, oh you know yeah. think as the viewer right greg oh interesting yeah so i'm just watching you while this fucking guy's talking okay 
you know you I, just hear that voice it's yeah. like the teacher in charlie brown yeah i mean it's worked out for him excellent i'm happy for him and i wish the best for him of course but it's amazing that he was able to get as big as he got by doing it like that mm. because for the viewer you're just sitting there while this voice is talking right it's to me it's weird okay i, I, I don't know he does ask good questions though and he's not dumb that's for damn sure yeah he's I don't even like Vlad. That's his DJ name, right? DJ Vlad. That's what it started out. Yeah. To. Okay. Yeah, he's been around for a while. Yeah. Like you said, he he got in the game early, like Rogan mm -hmm. and uh, some of the other guys, you know. Yeah. And now it's Greg Greg's turn. You kill it, buddy. You kill it. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna learn some things from you. So now, what did you think about um, when P Diddy is in New York? I know this is out of your jurisdiction or whatever you want to call it mm -hmm. did you follow that case at all when he's with j-lo he's got the gun shine. that was earlier that happened long before right that was long before i got inside the case but yeah so there's the nightclub incident there's a shooting takes place some girl gets i think shot in the eye um, and then shine takes the rap for it don't really know exactly what happened but i do know that shine ended up going to jail for it but then he got out he basically was making comments to the effect that he took the hit when it was really should have been Diddy, I don't know what's true, right. but that's the story. The conspiracy is that he's hooked to hit, and Diddy never took care of him right. while he was in there. Right. Yeah, I just threw that out as a snowball to see if you knew anything about. No, it. nothing more than that. Yeah. Yeah. So what's next for uh, Mr. Greg Caden, other than me trying to talk you into coming back again? Yeah. Well, I want to. I would like to come back and then actually co-host and interview you. I'm sure you would, because yeah. <laughs> I do have some questions. So I'd like to like, where were you on September 7th of 1996? I was uh, in high school. Bullshit. No, I was. I was playing football. <laughs> playing football, I was. I, I heard on the radio. It'll go into full interrogation. <laughs> All right. Uh, it wouldn't be the first time, so. Yeah. March 8th, 1997. Yeah, so I'm, thir you that well, I'm 38, so how old would I have been then? 38. Shit, that's 25 years ago. Look, I'm cooked from doing all the research on you, so you could do the math. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was in sixth grade. I how old are you, Rob? I was in sixth grade. I remember it. Sixth grade? Sixth grade. Wow. I remember. Sixth grade, yeah. I would I remember the I would have been in ninth grade. I remember the girl I used to like uh, when I was in sixth grade. Um, had a huge crush on her. She was a huge Tupac fan. And, um, you know, when you heard about all this with Tupac first and then, you know, the whole Biggie thing, we had our Biggie things. And I, I also thought that Puff Daddy had something to do with it. And you said you the only thing you didn't like is Puffy didn't, cooperate is that what you said is that how you said it yeah i i didn't because i i think it would have been great for him to be just straightforward and transparent like man lost my boy what can i do to help I, you know where's the reward money you know where like if, if if you um had an artist that got killed like you would be on the forefront of like trying to make the yeah. something happen right i mean that's just kind of like common thinking but what so why wouldn't he? So why doesn't that show me that well, something's up here? He's not willing to... Why wouldn't he? What would he have to lose? Because him? everybody would call him a rat, right? Well, so what I think happened is that Biggie gets killed, and everyone wants to question him. Everybody wants to know what happened. I think he realized that, you know, if they start really digging into this, really making headway with, with Biggie's case, it's going to lead back to Pac's case. And I have some... You know, something to do with it. Yeah, yeah. You know, whether it's an misunderstanding or whatever, but ultimately, I made a phone call to say, "Would that us?" You know, and so if 
in his mind, he's like, this is all really, you know, delicate. These people are, I, I think I'm going to listen to my lawyers and just keep my mouth shut. Because you know that's exactly what his lawyers were telling him. Like, hey, man, cops want to come talk to you. They need to go through us. Go through you guys. And so, you know, I, and I, I, I can't fault anybody for you know, taking advantage of their own rights to remain silent. But at the same time, a person who's just completely free of any, you know, liability or guilt would be like, man, what can we do? What can we do? How much money do you need? What can I help? To, you know, I need to bring justice to uh, Biggie's case. So that is why, I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't have done it the way he did it. And, and correct me if I'm wrong. He could have come in and said, look, I don't want to talk about Tupac at all. Tupac's off the table, but mm -hmm. here's what I know about the situation with Biggie. He could have done that, right? He could have, but ultimately, regardless of whether he talked about Tupac, the investigation itself is going to go back there. There was always a, you know, a, a strong belief that the two were related. Once we tied the Southside Crips to Tupac's murder, we were tying the Southside Crips to Bad Boy. Gotcha. Right. And so, you know, and that was something that he couldn't hide or, you know, so why put himself any deeper in the water than he already was? Now, do you think he's still affiliated with gangs and all no, that shit now? No, he's just doing his thing. Oh, of course. He's got so much yeah. shit going on now. He probably learned from that. Yeah. You know, he probably looks back on that like, man, I made some stupid decisions. I associated with some some people that, uh, you know, could have could have ultimately cost him his life. And you had said many times that Dre just wanted, Dr. Dre, he just wanted to produce. Snoop Dogg wanted to be able to go to New York and, and make music. Although he was very close with Tupac, he didn't want all the shit. For a minute there, it seemed like he did. But, yeah. you know, now he's hanging out with Bad Boy. You know, which is, that's another fucked up thing to me, too. Because him and Pac, see, I'm very, very old school. Mm -hmm. He's very, very, I was raised old school, you okay. know, Italian. So to me... You know, Snoop was friends with P. Diddy. Whether he had this much to do with it or this much to do with it, he had something to do with Pac. Something. Right. Right? Maybe not prosecutable, but he was involved in some way, shape, or form. Snoop probably looks at it like, I kind of get it. I, I, see, I see, you know, I, I, we both understand the same monster that you, you know, that you were running from, which was Suge. And I think Suge can, I'm sorry, that Snoop can probably appreciate what Diddy was, what Diddy was actually experiencing at the time. I think that Snoop can probably go, yeah, man, that shit was real. And I can understand why you might have been afraid because Suge had some serious hitters behind him, like really dangerous people. And Snoop knows that. Snoop comes from those same streets and it can appreciate um, how delicate life can be when uh, you're surrounded by people who don't hesitate to pull a trigger. And on top of that, like you said, he was running from Shug too. Yeah. He wanted the hell out of there. Right. Yeah. Just like Dre, he got the hell out of there. And they all have probably counted their blessings that they never ended up on the wrong street at the wrong time with the wrong people who were associated with Sugar. Now, other than this celebrity case, you have, you said that there was a, a monster case that you have, kind of like in the back corner, Christopher Dorner? Dorner, yeah. So that, back in 2013, there was this um, officer named Christopher Dorner, who, uh, ex-military guy, kind of a uh, um, 
a, uh, I think he was a Navy officer. And he got on the LAPD. And then during his training period, he went and got deployed. So he had a break in his training. And then he came back to work and still is on what we call probation. You're still in your rookie year. And, um, you know, he's a decorated soldier, African-American kid, on the job, but he's not doing well in training. He has trouble writing his reports. And ultimately, him and his training officer go to a call where there's a, um, a vagrant guy at a, I think, a, at a hotel or something like that. And there's a use of force in order to get this guy in custody. And the guy ends up in like a, a mental evaluation unit that night. Well, ultimately, the training officer writes a, um, a, a progress report saying that I don't think that this guy is uh, making the type of progress that he needs in order to, to accomplish his training. And so in retaliation, not in retaliation, but in response to that, Chris Dorner then says, you know what? Um, she's just, uh, she's just kind of like throwing me under the bus. But, you know, what happened was she, she had used, um, you know, when we arrested this guy, she'd kicked him and abused him and this and that. So he makes an allegation against her for excessive force. So the whole thing goes to what we call a, uh, a trial board. And they find out that he had been lying about his claims against this officer. So he gets dismissed from the job. So he gets dismissed from the job and he goes through the process of trying to get his job back for years. And ultimately, when he realizes, I'm never getting that job back that I wanted so bad, he writes a manifesto, sends it to Anderson Cooper, and then goes and goes on this shooting rampage in Southern California for 10 days. Damn. And during his trial board, when he's being, you know, basically, um, you know, what we call these uh, border rights hearings, his advocate, the person who's trying to defend him, was a captain named Randy Kwan. Randy Kwan was an LAPD captain who was also a lawyer who's representing Dorner saying, hey, this guy doesn't, we, he doesn't need to be fired. Yeah, he can, we can improve on his training, blah, blah, blah. Well, ultimately, he fails because he doesn't, Dorner loses his job. So after this all happens, Dorner then goes over to where Randy Kwan, his advocate's daughter, lives. She's getting out of a car with her fiance. He walks up and executes them both kills both the daughter the daughter the daughter and her fiance executes them both god damn. in retaliation for her father not adequately defending him in his trial board with the LAPD kills somebody's daughter just executes nah. her in a parking lot along with her fiance that's fucked up and so this this huge manhunt starts and again, he's this ex-military guy. He's armed with, you know, semi-automatic rifles, AR-15s. Had to hide out, right? Mm-hmm. And so he encounters a Riverside cop, and there's a big, you know, a bolo, like a he'd be on the lookout for Christopher Dorner going on. And so he sees, he pulls up to an intersection. He sees a squad car, and he thinks, "Oh shit, I'm in a car that, you know, I'm made." So he puts his rifle out the window, shoots and kills that deputy. Right? Wow. Executes him. And, in, and through the process of this whole thing, he, sh- he ends up shooting three cops. And um, he goes down to San Diego area and he tries to, uh, he tries to steal a boat. And uh, he, he <laughs> it's a very, very interesting story, but he's trying to get out of the country. He's trying to get to Mexico. He fucks up in stealing this boat. It becomes disabled. And so he's on the run, but everyone thinks he's in Mexico. Next thing you know, there's a sighting of him up in Big Bear, California, up in the mountains, the ski resorts. And it's in the dead of winter. 
And he goes and he holds some people hostage inside of a cabin that he thinks is not occupied. And he steals their car. And then he he crashes it. And then he steals a truck and then lights it on fire. And there's like, we found him. He's on the mountain. Everybody's closing in, right? Ultimately, they get to a, he's driving down the road. Some deputies see him and he disappears. And as they get there and the car's there, boom, another shot, another deputy down, right? So he's inside of a cabin taking sniper shots. And so um, they converge on the place. And now there's just this just huge gunfight, exchange of gunfire. He's bah, 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 bah. SWAT teams are shooting shit. He's he uh, ultimately the cabin catches on fire. Are, are you there for any of this? No, no I'm not never any of this. <laughs> I, I think I'd rather have this than that one. Dude, this is a great. St- and so any he ends up the cabin goes up in flames. They're waiting. Finally, once the you know the the flames go out and they go in, he's down in the basement. And he says a self, you know, a self-inflicted gunshot wound. He kills himself ultimately, instead of being captured. And it's just this really wild story about a guy who thought, because in his mind, this was all part of this systemic racist, you know, thing that got him off the job and wouldn't hire him back. And he tried to make false, he tried to make allegations against this white police officer, female police officer, and the department didn't buy it. And so in his mind. You know, he 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 goes full tilt. So he just cracked, cracked, like fucking crack, cracked, crack, cracked, and killed a bunch of people. You know, as a result, and they finally track him down. But this was like this ten day, one of the biggest like manhunts in California in history. Did you hear about that, Christopher Dorner? I don't think I remember that one. But yeah, there's wow. But, so what are you gonna do with that? So I, I hooked up with one of the lead investigators on it. This this is a good story. Yeah, and uh, I'm you know again I wasn't involved in it directly. I was just aware of it because obviously I was in, living in Southern California at the time, and it was on the news all day and all night. And uh, so I hooked up with this guy who uh, was a lead investigator. I was like, hey, let's do a let's work on a podcast with this thing. And so he's still on the job, so he had to get the blessing of his department to release the documents and be directly involved in it. And they're like, yeah, go for it, man. Do 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 it right. And um, tell the story and honor these fallen cops. Honor all the victims. But, you know, particularly, you know, there's a bunch of slain cops that were trying to chase this bad guy down and, you know, paid for their, you know, paid, paid for their lives. And so that's what, it's a big story. You think you'll do a book on it? Um, I don't think so, but I'm hoping that, well, I think that, there's never been a, a, a decent treatment of it, like with a documentary or a limited series. So that's what I'm hoping is that it'll upstream, maybe start with a podcast, get all the people involved, tell the stories, and then, you know, have it either be kind of a docudrama or a limited series. Because it, it's a timely story, too, because it deals with issues that are still relevant today, you know. And, um, you know, from from his perspective, this is all part of some you know, um, unfair, racist um, um, activity. And then there's also mental health issues. Mm-hmm. You know, his perception of what was happening was his reality. And then his response to it, this really narcissistic, homicidal, and suicidal response to this whole thing. I think the whole thing is just you think, fascinating. You think that's the PSD from being, because he was a Marine, you said, right? He was Navy. Um, but he wasn't, you know, he was deployed and, and did combat. He was involved in combat. So maybe 
there could be some PTSD issues. Well, I mean, you got the name, you know, so now you'll the next round you'll do with your because you'll do the podcast and then yeah. the next round of interviews with the gazillion places you've been could go on this and then somebody's yeah. going to catch that. I mean, shit. Yeah. I mean, this, you know, these guys are celebrities. So, you know, of course, it's a big thing, but this is this is just fucking crazy. It is. <laughs> right? It's Rob, really, really wild. Nuts. Yeah, that, that, that's I didn't hear that one. The question I had too, you know, nowadays with if if Biggie Tupac happened in 2021, mm-hmm. do you think it would have been easier to solve that case right off the bat with cameras everywhere, with you know cell phone records, all that? Do you think you know from then till now it would have been a lot easier? Yeah, I think so. I think technology would have definitely aided it. You know, you look at the CCTV footage from even like that beat down at the MGM. It's so grainy. You can't even really, somebody has to tell you who's, yeah, who it is um, because you can't make it out. And then, you know, traffic cameras are actually becoming less and less prevalent, but there were, you know, there's always, you know, had there been traffic cameras at intersections, maybe capturing a plate, because if they had been able to identify that vehicle, that white Cadillac that was used and tie that back to the rental agency, that would have tied directly to the suspects. And so the vehicle would have been a huge clue. Um, And then I think that also just like, um, you know, getting cell phone records and social media too. Like back then, nowadays on social media, people are confessing to (laughs) Fucking crazy. (laughs) Right? Orlando Anderson would have been like on Facebook, right? Absolutely. I just smoked Tupac. (laughs) Yeah. Now, as a detective, when you see these idiots, right, throwing up, you know, bands of money with a gun. Mm. As a detective, you got to be like, are you that fucking stupid? They're that stupid. I see it. I hate social media. Other yeah. than for business, I hate it. I fucking hate it. I, I fucking hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. I have a one-year-old daughter. I am, fuck that. I don't care. No way. She'll never have a profile. I'll break the motherfucker. <laughs> as soon as I see it, I, I think it's terrible. I mean, don't you? Yeah, it, I think it can be. I really do. I think that we get... It, it's it's way overly influential in our lives. In moderation, it's okay, you know. Yeah, and, but and, can you keep it in moderation? These people get addicted to this shit. This you know, this genre is fucking crazy. I mean, all day long, all day long on that damn phone. Fuck, Rob, it, Rob's with me on that. Yeah, and I don't disagree. <laughs> I mean, we're just so absorbed with with, uh, and now it's become a, a platform for s- such political issues. Oh. You know, it's no longer about somebody saving a dog or a cat or something cool that makes your day feel good or finding out what your high school friends are up to. Now it's just being used to promote agendas. And more often than not, it's just like each, it's being used as a weapon. How about this political shit? Crazy, huh? It's insane. Just, yeah. I, I can't even... I should have asked you before I came on, you know, what your affiliation was with your political party so I can decide whether to hate you or not. <laughs> no, um, you know, really, I, I don't... I'm not, although I've had Roger Stone on multiple times, I'm not really either or. It's just whoever I like. You know, I I did like Trump a lot. I I thought he was great. I know he said shit he shouldn't have said, but I liked him because he was real. And And he got shit done. He went to fucking North Korea after calling that guy Rocket Man. To me, that's a man. I don't care what he does on Twitter. Any man that calls a guy that has a nuclear weapon like this that everybody in any other country is afraid of, his people telling him not to go meet him, goes and meets him face-to-face. That's right. a man to me. And right. for that, I respect that, and he got shit done. And if they wouldn't have kept fucking him, he would have got a lot more done. He did, and I'm, I, I actually had voted Trump. I'm Republican. But 
I think, again, back to the issue of social media, had he handled that more responsibly, I wonder if he had been the villain to, you know, to the um, to his opponents that he, that he ultimately became. Like, I think there was such a, a reckless misuse of social media that I think actually cost him his presidency. But then on the other hand, the ones that did love him, would they have loved him if he wasn't like that? I well, mean, there's I, no I, way he got 80, more, 80 million more votes than him. I mean, really? But then it goes back to what you're saying. You're saying you loved him really because of what he was doing. Yeah. Not so much what he was saying. And so I think we would have still, just like the policies are good, the economy's good, our military's good, all of the things that a president's supposed to be doing are intact and getting better. And so then, but the divisiveness that occurred through kind of reckless, you know, comments, it was just not, like, in my opinion, there was just, it was not dignified. And uh, and it's less than what you would expect, at least from my generation and my perspective, is less than what you'd expect from a United States president. I 100% I 100% agree with you. But on the other end, at least he was wrong. If you don't like it, just don't. Don't click on it. Right. You know I mean? Like just like these assholes, they'll watch a video. Right. And they'll you know, they'll sit there and post, you know, twenty, thirty shit comments. Like you really have time right. to sit there. If you don't like it, just don't watch it. You know, get out of your nut huggers and your bag of chips and fucking dress up and go to work and do something and stop, you know, trolling or whatever they call it. You know what I mean? It's fucking crazy. You don't like what Trump says, don't watch what he says. Look what he's done. Yeah. And I thought he did a great job. And now, now look what's happening. Exactly. I mean, and and this we're not even a fucking year in yet. I mean, this is some scary shit to me. I feel bad for the guy, to be honest with you. Yeah, I I think we're just a we're just a massive shit show right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that we've lost our um, we've lost our standing from you know the optics uh, globally, and it's 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 really sad. Um, Stone says he's running again in 2024. He was just in here last week. Well, hopefully there's some lessons to be learned. If he if he does come back and succeed, then maybe maybe take a little bit of a different social approach to hopefully. things. Yeah, hopefully. I, I do agree with you. Because we, going a little bit we have to figure out how to s- f- fix... Yeah, we've got to... We've got to close the gap. You can't, yeah, you can't do this. Because, like, you know, think about how many people won't even vote now, probably. Mm-hmm. Because... Does it matter? Because, you know, if, if you were for Trump, it was rigged. If you were for Biden, he won. If you were in the middle, you're like, what the fuck is the point of even going? Because they're going to control everything anyway, you right. know? And and to me, that's kind of what this, where we're at right now. And that's a scary fucking thing. It is. And that leads to a whole lot of conversations about what's really going on behind the scenes. Like, you know, at the border, are we just trying to bring in votes? Is that what's going on? And so you can have these really important, I think really important conversations about, you know, what is actually occurring behind the scenes and what are these power plays taking place? Who's pulling those strings ultimately? And then you can start getting lost in all kinds of, you know, my theory, you gave me your theory. Okay. Uh, Okay. So my theory is that they have him as like the, the, the front man. Okay. You know, Joe Biden, grandpa, uncle Joe, uncle Joe, sleepy Joe, Mm -hmm. you know, okay. They get him in. Now you got Kamala Harris and Nancy Pelosi behind them, right? Okay. You let him in, you know he's shot. He doesn't even know what day it is, right? right? They know that. They gotta shoot him with God knows what. I could probably tell you what they're hitting him with. Okay. 
Now, they're hitting him with with his little gangbanger, and you can tell when it starts to wear off, you know what I mean, because he's starting to get fucked up, and, you know, they get him off, you know, pre-questions, everything else. Now, they put him in, give him a year, year and a half, then they then they file the motion that he's, uh, what's the incompetent. word? Incompetent. Mm-hmm. Then who becomes president? Kamala Harris, which is fucking crazy to me because she put away more black people than anybody else. Right. And she... And he got a ton of black votes, right? So now she's going to go in. They're cool with her being vice president when she killed the African-American community. And then guess who's vice president? Pelosi. That's how that would work, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So you put Biden in, you give him a year and a half to really fuck up and really lose it, you know, because he, he had brain surgery, all kinds of shit. Mm-hmm. Let him destroy himself. He's incompetent. Then you got Kamala and Pelosi. Now that's fucking scary. Who's scarier, Pelosi and Kamala or Suge Knight? (laughs) I don't know. They could all be related. (laughs) Um, Man. Think about that. Yeah, it is. It's scary. And it's, it's, it's really disconcerting, you know, to think that, I guess what, this is what saddens me is that you know, like, this is the best we have to offer. Like, we're the United States of America. And not to say that we're on a pedestal, but fuck, this is the best we have to offer? You know, I mean, we're in the big leagues. Think uh, what China's doing. They are oh, licking their chops. They're drooling right now because it, they can walk all over this motherfucker hey, all day long. It's checkmate. And I've been saying that. I really believe that. I, You know, I don't want to believe that, but I truly do. I think that everything's beyond a point of no return. And that there, there's just, it's already checkmate. But Greg, guess who put China in their place? He did. He did. And what's, again, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I think these are interesting conversations that, you know, China with Trump in office was on their heels, you know, whether it was, you know, economically because of the, the trade stuff that was going on. And then lo and behold, man, what happens? Gets overturned. Next thing, next thing you know, we're doing some, something's happening that's destroying our economy. Mm-hmm. You know, the pandemic. All of a sudden, like the timeliness of that. You know, isn't that interesting? Right? It is. It's really interesting. And again, I'm not promoting that as a truth. I'm promoting that as a very interesting idea to explore. You know, that if you were them and they're not, you know, they're very clever chess players. All right. You got a, you know, we've got a situation with the United States, who is a, negatively affecting our economy. Just you simply do something that you know that creates so much havoc and chaos that everything turns back around, and you then are pulling the purse strings again. No pandemic, no mail-in votes. I don't know that the outcome would have been the outcome. Exactly. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. Now. And then I'll I will we'll cut off because I'll be back for the Christopher Dorner, and then we'll do one on the news. Okay, you know from a, this one I'm telling you, your podcast would kill. But you can't forget about me when you do this. Well, show. I'm just kind of thinking we could share an office. I have no problem. Like I, I love it out here. I can't I afford no... I can't afford it out here. But I did a little background on you, and I went by your house oh, earlier. Boy. And er, clearly, you can support me. <laughs> <laughs> I talked to some of your staff. Uh, you said you're a pretty generous guy. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know nothing about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, now, I want to ask you as a detective, because I tried to ask one of my friends, but he was being a dick. Okay. Okay. How hard, 
how hard is it to tap a phone? Or no, not that's not Apple. Mm-hmm. Are they really as tight as they say they are with their encryption? Yeah, I I think they are. Yeah, I think that uh, you know, in in especially with with it would be within the feds that there are people that do computer forensics and that type of things. I think they still struggle in in breaking the coding and stuff that they need, which is why they need to try and get Apple's cooperation oftentimes in order to continue, you know, to uh, further their investigations. Correct me if I'm wrong. There was a couple murder cases where they would not hand over the info, or they said they didn't have it. I think that they said that they wouldn't, they wouldn't, um, without a court order, they weren't going to just comply to the request to, um, you know, basically jailbreak somebody's computer. Now, if you have a, if they got a court order, would they, are they, can they get, break into it, Apple? Absolutely. They can. Sure. I think everything, everything in their system they're able to access. Can you guys break into it? Or you would need Apple's help? No, I think that they have all the, the you know, and and again, this is, this is I'm, I'm speaking about things that are a little bit outside of my, my, you know, wheelhouse or pay grade. Yeah, it's just an opinion. Yeah, yeah. my opinion is that absolutely they, they create the systems. And so for them not be able to get back into their own creation is a little odd. Yeah. So I would think that if you can create the system, you're going to have a way of, you know, of, uh, of, you know, getting in and evaluating the system. I had a CIA guy on, um, another FBI guy on, and he said it's it's fucking hard with the update. Like if you keep the everything updated, they have a machine that they can plug it into. You can actually buy them. Cops are selling them on eBay. Okay. Like iPhone 11 and below, mm-hmm. you can put that in there and you can get everything. You can delete it, it's still there. Okay. After I think 11, the the machine, as of now, it's not our iOS 15, they can't break that. But, you know, you give one of these. Are you So you're already talking about getting um, information that's already been deleted, that it's still. They could still pull it. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. I think that's pretty relatively well known as a fact. And Android's a piece of cake. Mm-hmm. I know that. Okay. Um, no, I was just curious about that. Yeah, I'm not. A, I don't know a whole lot about technology and the forensics and involved in all of that. But I, again, I just go back to the basic idea that if you create something, you're going to know how to manipulate it. Yeah. And so, if Apple creates a system, I'm quite sure they know how to manage and control it under all circumstances. Well, we know China does because they make it over there. So you know they got the key. That's for damn sure. Again, it's checkmate. Who, who told us that? It? it was a pretty heavy hitter, and they yeah, said they that because uh, you know, the parts are made in China, mm-hmm. so of course they got the fucking key, you know. And then they're just sending the shit over here to be assembled, right? But then again, when the other guy was in here, he was he was starting to get people to move from China over here, giving them tax breaks and everything else. And now it's just all reverted. So, hmm. so I know we're gonna bring Greg back again, but I gotta ask one more thing, and I promise. So, you, have you been following the Gabby Petito case? I have. So, very interesting, right? She, they find her body. She's dead. There was these videos that surfaced of the police. You know, apparently they got into an argument, an altercation. Apparently he hit her. We don't know mm-hmm. all those details. He comes back home. She's not there. You know, the van. he comes back with the van. She's not there. Right. Cops find out about this or investigators find out about this. Do you think they dropped the ball, the investigators in that situation, where it just seems like it took them forever to do anything? Now, I'm just speaking from somebody watching the news, Mm -hmm. saying, oh, they showed up at the door, they didn't get a search warrant, they didn't do all this, and now he's had time to 
run. I don't know where he's at. If he's still alive, maybe. Maybe he did off himself. Right. What do you think about that? Well, I think... From that perspective, an investigator's perspective. Yeah, so I think by the time he got home, like 10 days had gone by since they had their little confrontation, not confrontation, but their contact with law enforcement, something like that, right? And I do think that the way that they handled it, it can be second-guessed, but I don't criticize the fact that he's got the scratches. They're like, hey, this is kind of a almost like a mutual combat thing. You both are having an argument. She's, you know, hysterical. You guys need to go separate ways for a while and, like, solve your shit, you know, fix your stuff. Um, Technically, in most police departments, when somebody has an injury and there's a primary aggressor, you make an arrest. Like, there's a law that basically demands, that there's a domestic violence law that demands somebody is arrested when there's visible injuries. So there's a little bit of a, you know, a probably uh you can second guess that you know what would have happened if they had actually arrested her um under those circumstances would it ultimately protected her and she would not be dead today um but then once that's gone and everyone's walked away from it nobody knows what's going on for 10 days right he shows up back at home and i'm gonna be honest with you at first i was like shit that's what i'd do and i was if i was on the road with some crazy broad and she was losing her shit and slapping me and scratching me, I might just bail. I might just be like, fuck it, man, I'm out. You coming or not? No? Okay, bye. So, I mean, I could see that happening. And I was actually giving him the benefit of the doubt because it was so obvious that he was guilty. I'm like, that's too obvious. Like, it just, it's just... I was giving him the benefit <laughs> of the doubt, too. I was thinking, you know, maybe he didn't do it. Right. Maybe he just mm-hmm. left her and, he, and he's on the run because they know, he knows that they're going to they're gonna go right at him. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. And if he got a lawyer involved, the lawyer's going to be like, we don't talk to anybody. I don't care how guilty it makes you look. This is just the way we're playing this. That's, that's what a lawyer's typically going to do. Now, who helped him pack up, though? Somebody helped him pack his shit up. I think it was, was it his parents? Yeah, they think his parents. I mean, yeah. I don't think that's been said. But I'll tell you what. Her dad looks like if she if he, if he finds him, oh, yeah. that man, that kid's dead. Mm-hmm. Well, dog's going to find him, apparently. Dog. dog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is he, isn't he under he's, indictment he's, right now? He's on his case, dog is. I think he's under what tax invasion? Is that what it is? He's making money still. He's yeah, man. He looks bad. He looks bad every he time loves, I worse every time I see him. He loves the spotlight, dog. He's he need, he's he needs him. more. Dude, this, this, it's kind of sad because now <laughs> it's it's become you know it's become theater. It's like this poor girl's dead out there, and you know they can't find the guy, but now the dog enters the picture, and oh, now it's just so. entertainment. Oh god, it's just turned into entertainment. You know, he might fucking find the guy too. You think he's still alive? Do you think he's still alive? No. I think, he, I think he killed himself. Yeah, again, back to your original question yeah. about the ability to track somebody. It's really hard to stay off the radar. Now, if he's a survivalist and he, he really knows what he's doing, perhaps he can do that for a while, but not, not forever. Um, you know, but, Greg, he's, not, he's, he's got no background of anything. That, no, I which, thought he did. I thought he had some, some background in, in, in survivalism. Again, again, from what you hear on the news and hear things, they said he had some survival thing. But yeah. I think he's in that, well... The place that they think he was in is a swampy area of Florida, right? Mm-hmm. Think swamp, think snakes, think alligators, think all that type of stuff. Either right. he went out there say, I'm going to survive, and then maybe, again, allegedly, if he did kill her and thoughts went through, said, I think he either killed himself and the, sh- the alligators got him, mm-hmm. or um, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think he's alive still. But yeah, it, that's my, I, I doubt he is. So you think he killed himself? You think I, he killed himself? Well, he either killed himself or he succumbed to the environment that he was trying to hide in. 
You know, maybe he's out there, he gets bit by a snake, or, you know, he's walking across a swamp and a gator grabs his leg. I don't know. So either way, you think he's dead? I do. And do you think he killed her? Um, Yeah, I do at this point. Well, one to a hundred percent. Um, I'm not going to go all in with this. I'm going to say it's, 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 it's the preponderance of evidence is that he did, but there's still a little bit of, there's room to play. You know, maybe she gets picked up by somebody and, uh, you know, she's out there wandering around and, and it happens. Mm-hmm. Picked up on the side of the highway. What's up, girl? Oh, man. Get in the car. I'll hook you up. Next thing you know, you know, so there's always that possibility. But what kind of undermines that theory is that his behavior, he should have just stayed home. Why is he on the run? Why is he hiding if that was. I, I don't, I think he. I don't think he intentionally killed her. I think they got into another altercation. He hit her or he did something and she fell or something happened and she succumbed to it and he panicked. Meaning he killed her still, right? He technically killed her, but it wasn't unintentionally. Unintentionally and he's freaked out. He's. I'd love to see, like, once they do, if they do, um, you know, if they uh, release the autopsy. I want to know what the cause of death was. Obviously, they ruled it a homicide, but that can mean a lot of different things. While me and Greg finish up, see if you can pull up something on that case just to see what the status is with her boyfriend. See, now, my opinion is I'm with you. I'm not not 100% that that he did it. I'm not 100%. Because you could see see him. They get in a fight like you or I would do. Fuck this. I'm out of here. And he leaves her. You know, it it seems far-fetched, but from my past and your job that it's not unreasonable to think that he could have left her. Somebody picked her, somebody else picked her up. Right. He whacks her out. Okay. Or whoever picked her up, whacks her out. He's young and dumb and scared. And he goes on the run because he knows it's all coming at him. So well, can you imagine the immediate attention? Yeah. At his house. Right. That's you it. Know, he's already being tried in, in, you know, in the court of public opinion, he's already guilty. And, um, so yeah, he's like, man, I'm just going to bounce. I'm not going to be part of this until they find her and figure it out that it wasn't me. I mean, that's a possibility. It's remote, but nonetheless. Yeah. See me, I give that 10%. Okay. Then I give 10% that he accidentally killed her. Nah, maybe I'll give it, nah, I'll give 30% that he accidentally killed her in the heat of the moment. Mm-hmm. Doesn't know what to do when he's scared. Right. Lawyers up, goes on the run. And then, you know, you leave. A little over, you know, 60-ish, 65% that he right. straight up killed her and right. in rage and, you know. So in the autopsy should reveal all that, you know, what, what, you know, how did she have a broken neck? Did she have, you know, bruises on her neck? Did she have a crushed skull? Did she have gunshot wounds? Like all of those things would help to help us to kind of form a clearer opinion. Now, I'm sorry, they, they found her. Yeah. They found her. Was the body in decent shape? We don't know. Oh, okay. There's, they just released the, the information from the coroner's office was that it was a homicide. But the cause of death okay, has this, not been fully This reported. was updated nine and, minutes ago. And it says, Hiker Dennis Davis, an engineer from Florida, said he believed he had spoken with Brian Laundrie on a road near the Appalachian Trail in North Carolina, close to the border with Tennessee. Audio his 911 call was made public. He said alleged... The alleged Mr. Laundry was talking wild about having to get to California to see his girlfriend. There is no doubt in my mind I spoke to Brian Laundry, none whatsoever. So I guess a hiker is saying 
He spoke to this dude in North Carolina. Now again, keep going down. I guess keep going down there. The police the department in Utah. Yeah. Wow. Read that, Rob. Uh, police from Moab, Moab, Moab City have been accused of covering up body cam footage with Gabby Petito tearfully claims that Fuck. Mr. Laundry assaulted her. That was that video you keep seeing them keep playing. Mm-hmm. Police Department Utah released two videos. The first released on September 16th, less than a week after she was reported missing. The second was released 14 days later and only after a Grand County attorney accused the department of holding the video from a second officer. I mean, sometimes they hold that stuff for, you know, yeah. reasons. I mean, Now, don't you hold that so that when you come to interview somebody and they say something that they would have to have been there to know that. Is yeah, that why that would so be you, you release information yeah. like this very selectively. You don't want to give out anything that can compromise your case or give information to people that uh, that allows them to then use that information. Yeah. And Palm Beach County makes the news in this uh, article. More serious criminal charges against Miss Petito's missing boyfriend, Mr. Lodger, extremely likely if he's found alive. The state attorney for Palm Beach County in Florida has claimed David Ehrenberg defended his office for not filing charges against Mr. Laudry, saying prosecutors have higher burden to prove cases beyond reason. Now, so I'm guessing he's from Palm Beach County. Uh, I did not know that. So what the hell does that mean, Greg? Dave Ehrenberg's the district attorney here. Hasn't. What does that mean, Greg? When he says extremely yeah. likely he's been found alive, the state attorney, Palm Beach County, yeah. Uh, I don't know where he's from. That's yeah, what's that mean? That prosecutors have a higher burden to prove cases beyond any reasonable doubt. So I guess the question is, that, like, people are saying that they should have done something that would have prevented all this if if the previous matters had been dealt with, you know, effectively. Right. Like, you know, the domestic violence and that type of thing. So he's got a, he's got a record beyond? That, well, I, is, what, is that kind of what they're saying? That's what I feel like they're saying, yeah, is that, hey— uh, Northport, yeah. Florida, but I don't know what Palm Beach County has. Palm Beach County always makes the news somehow, whether it's the <laughs> hanging chads from the Al Gore George Bush election or this. Like we're always in the news, Palm Beach County. Somehow. Yeah. Somehow. So I guess it comes down to the autopsy, right, Greg? Yeah, the autopsy is going to be really important to kind of prove what happened, what caused her death. You know, was it potentially accidental, um, unintentional, or was it something very clear, like you know, you got gunshot wounds? That's pretty obvious that that's not an accident. So next time you come in, you're going to have a podcast. Hopefully. you're going to promote it here. Hopefully. And then we'll talk about um, your other story that you're going to write and turn into a series. There's your book again. Get that on Amazon. I saw it on Barnes & Nobles. What's the best place to get the book? Gosh, darn, that thing's been around, isn't it? It's uh, So, yeah, you can just pick it up on Amazon. It's the easiest way to get books. How if somebody wants it signed? Um... Shoot, I'm, you know, I put my stuff out there pretty, you know, you can find me on Twitter with my, you know, my address, not my address, but my uh, email and that type <laughs> Your of address. Yeah. <laughs> well, nowadays it doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, you just Google Greg Katie and you get to my house in 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we'll put all that in the description, everything, try to get you some more. And then you come back, we'll do the other story. Yeah. And then the thousand other questions that I have for you, but I don't want to bore you to death where you're like, God damn, this motherfucker. Well, maybe by next there. time you'll let me interview you. <laughs> I want to do a par- proper interview. Yeah, for sure. Or interrogation, I should say. Interrogation, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> I bet. All right, Greg. Thank you for your time, man. Thanks, you're, man. You're great. Appreciate you. One more thing. Mm-hmm. You just have to throw this and hit you with one more, right? Okay. Just in case I, I can't talk you into it. Okay. What you, We don't have to go through it today. But forget the celebrities of Tupac and Biggie. Did you have any other crazier case that was more just 
mind fucking than that one? I had another big, really, really complicated federal case that I was involved in right before I got assigned to a big Tupac's case. It was this big racketeering case about this guy in L.A. It's like it's more of an organized crime case. Had all all the tenants of like a racketeering case. Super, super cool case to work. A lot of interesting things. But there's one homicide case. There's one particular homicide case that we never solved that still haunts me, and that. Um, was a guy as a school teacher in Los Angeles. His, his name was Robert. And um, he had been missing for three days. And his family, or the school that he worked at, called the family. They're like, hey, Robert hasn't shown up to work for three days. And so they do what we call a welfare check, send somebody over to his house. So the brother goes over to the house, and he's like, hey, his car's gone. So I don't know where he disappeared to. Some more time goes by. Now the police go over there, and we're going to like force entry into the house. Because we don't know what's going, you know, he's missing. So the brother's out there, and the cops are there, and they kick in the door, and it's dark inside. Even though it's broad daylight outside, the, the, the shades are drawn. There's one, like, lamp over in the corner, and they look in, and they see Robert naked with his body hunched over a couch and a butcher knife sticking out of his back. Just beyond him is this big, bald, white dude standing there with no shirt on just with briefs on <laughs> just like standing right out right over the body and the cops like freeze motherfucker freeze and the the, the main the, the lead cop is like just about ready to let it go he's just about ready to pull the trigger and he realizes like fuck that's a cardboard cutout of steve, stone cold steve austin oh. <laughs> oh shit so yeah just looming over the body is this life-size cutout of steve austin yeah, yeah, and then Robert's, you know, slumped over the couch with a butcher knife in his back. And anyways, <laughs> it's a long, drawn-out story. This prostitute had stole his car. She had sold it to this other guy. And, oh, shit. And then, yeah, it's a really wild... Oh, and his his roommate, I remember, was the makeup artist for this um, for the for an artist named Shakira. Yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. And so we're on she, the phone with her. She's ah. on tour, yeah. And... and uh, and we're like, hey, um, do you live at this house? She's like, yeah, I'm on tour. I'm in like South America or something. It's like, do you roommate with Robert? And she's like, yeah. And it's like, well, you should probably come home, you know. And uh, really, really weird story. We ended up catching the guy and prosecuting him. He got off. And um, it, it, it's it's wild. But it's the one that kind of like, I know he was guilty. I know he was guilty. Give me your word, you'll come back and tell me all about That's it. That's a good one. Give bro. me your word. I'll give you my word, man. I would love to tell you that story. We got his word, Rob. That's who he's my witness. Yeah. That's easy. If we have it on tape uh, and we have it recorded on a disc in case that thing fucks up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to hear that one. So, wait, that happened at Shakira's house? Uh, no. So, it was Shakira's makeup artist was living with this guy. She was rooming with a guy who was the dead guy, um, who was a professor at LA City College. And he just, he didn't go to work and find, turns out he didn't go to work. He's <laughs> sitting at home with a butcher knife in his back. All right. So uh, next for, next up for Greg Caden yeah. when he's back is a guy with butcher knife guy with in butcher his back. Knife and back. And a guy with, that looks like <laughs> Stone Cold. Stone, Stone Cold Austin. Yeah. Stone Cold doesn't know how close he was to getting shot. Fuck. That, that one's good. <laughs> and, and both are great. You need to do a series, like a Greg Caden series, not just on one. 
you know, you got the Tupac, the Biggie, this guy with the thing in his back with Stone Cold, the fucking other guy, this crazy ass Kading's, Dormer, Dormer, whatever. Kading's Corner. Kading's oh, nice. Corner. I love that. Uh, yeah, that'd be, hey, that'd be good for your podcast. Yeah, yeah. Can I have that? Yeah, take it. I'll, I'll give it to you. <laughs> <It's ready. laughs> on that. the arm. On the arm. Yeah. All right, Greg. Thanks, I got Greg. your word. You're coming back. Absolutely. Witness, we should have brought the fucking lawyer. No, it was me anyway. Motherfucker. Anyway. This is good, man. I like it. You guys are, I appreciate you. Thanks for having me come out. I appreciate that. Thank really, you for coming I do. out. I know it's a so, bitch flying back oh, across. Yeah, nah. I, I'd do it in a heartbeat. But you know, you get to hang out in Palm Beach, get away from that bullshit in California. Yep. Fuck that place. Stay as long as yep. you want. Thank do you. Do another one. Appreciate this the invitation. But that's the thing is like when you go to places and there's just a, you know, this ongoing, um, migration of Californians, whether it's in Tennessee or whether it's here in Florida, at some point people are going to like, stop, we're done with y'all. Don't bring your California bullshit here, you know, because I'm sure this is happening. Oh, yeah. You know, we're we're going to places and we're leaving blue states for good reasons. And then we take blue ideas to these red states and they're like, fuck you, get out. So, you know, I'm very conscientious of the, uh, you know, um, the, uh, the idea that, you know, when I come from California, there's a preconceived notion about who I am and what I represent, right? Because California is a shit show. And so you go to these places, and first thing I try to do is make sure that, uh, I, you know, hey, um, I'm a guest in your <laughs> yeah. house. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a guest in your house, and so I'll act accordingly. Everybody's going to Texas, it seems like. Yeah, Texas too. You should come out here to Florida. I like it out here. I really do. I like the panhandle. Yeah. I like, like, Destin. Mm-hmm. That area is cool too. You should do it. Mm-hmm. Be easier to get you in. Yeah. Help you out with the podcast. Okay. Throwing bait. Throwing bait. I'm not joking. Like, my wife is, you know, down the street at a restaurant, but she's like, Greg, we're leaving, right? You you know what? Tomorrow morning, go over here to Benny's on the beach. Okay. He told me. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right, Greg. Good advice. Thanks, man. I'll give you a break from the chair. I appreciate right. it, man. But I could I could go two more hours, but I don't want to kill. Uh, I'm here. We got beer. <laughs> <laughs> we can do it. I, I got to like... get you back for a round two. It's <laughs> all right. I have stories forever. Well, not, they're not all true, but I can tell stories. Hey, listen. I, I'm sure half the people <laughs> I've had in uh, aren't all true. <laughs> all right, Greg. Thank hey, you very much thanks, for your time. Appreciate I appreciate it. it, sir. You too, man. And right. uh, congratulations on uh, solving both of them and, and getting that and being relentless. Thanks. Great job. Appreciate one it. One of my mottos I learned from the Bronx Tale: never get well. Bronx Tale and the actual book Machiavelli. I don't know if you ever read that. I did. Machiavelli. Oh, from uh, Nico uh, Machiavelli. Yeah, Nico Machiavelli, yeah, the yeah. prince, yeah. yeah. Never give the up. Prince. Okay. Availability. If I'd rather be loved or hated, I'd rather be hated because if love worked, the world wouldn't be the way it is. Nice. Machiavelli, cool. the prince. I bring it up all the time. Any other great quotes you can leave me with? I like that one, though. Um, good things take time. Okay. Um, here's a good one. If that girl gets in that car and that. She, don't reach o- she don't reach open, Uh-oh. reach over, and open test. that door. Give her the test. You get rid of her. You right. dump her right away. That's a good one. You that only is. get three gray ones. I have my three gray ones. Where's that from? Okay, so that the one was Bronx Tale. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. That was the door one. You only get three great ones. I'll give you a hint. Sonny. No, man. It's Bronx, Bronx Tale. Too. Same? Same. You can't take this yeah. quotes from the same movie. You need three got, different ones. I got one more for What's you. What's yours? Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. That's a good one, too. Um, now, you give me one. 
Well, the, you know, what I was thinking what's going through my mind is like there's so many cliche cool things to say, but so many of them aren't true. Like you know, like two wrongs don't make it right. Yeah. Like bullshit. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Right. And uh, what up? What goes up must come down. No, not necessarily. So <laughs> we say so many yeah. things as if they're truths, but then you think about them like, no, two wrongs sometimes make it really fucking right. Agreed. Right? Again, okay, now you just said that, right? Now listen to me. <laughs> Machiavelli, I'd rather, be, if, I'd rather be loved, but if I had to choose, I'd rather be feared. Right. That relates to what you just said. Right. And in today's society, these fucking kids don't fear anything because you can't give them the little belt like we got when we were kids. We, we go through this every fucking interview with somebody mm -hmm. like you because, you know, I have a daughter now. He has kids. And it's bullshit now. I say it again, and I don't give a fuck. For the millionth time, you put a kid in the room, they don't learn shit. Right. You take that belt off, not hurt them, but let them know. And I've said it a hundred million times. My grandfather was six foot six. As you could see, I got none of that fucking height, <laughs> motherfucker. My fucking brother did, but I didn't get it. And when he came in and my mom told him something, forget it. First time, eh, all right, fuck, fuck him. Second time, no. When I went to do something wrong the third time, no, 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 no. No, thank you. Yeah. Now, if I would have just got sat in my room, what do I care? Take a nap. I'm going to do the same thing. What's your opinion on that? Then we'll end it. So I'll just take it biblical. And there's a scripture that says, spare the rod, spoil the child. And, you know, so if, if you know, in, in, in this has been obviously misused, but like, you know, we, I, we have this generation of kids that you're talking about. But ultimately, they're a product of our policies, right? So I have to take some ownership there. I have a good kid, but I was, you know, I, I put my hands on him if I had to a couple times. And, uh, but, you know, when you have this just blanket, like, I think what happened, we never find that, found that perfect balance between being a parent and being a friend. And so, you know, we were disassociated, my generation disassociated from their fathers because we didn't have an emotional contact with them. Um, they were setting the example, going to work and that type of thing, just kind of tough love. And then we went the other way and it was like, you know, we're going to employ just, you know, where's your, how do you feel? You know, and let me figure out how to, you know, and we never found that good balance that you need both, I think. And so now today's generation is all this, you know, um, this I idea that, that everything's for self, right? It's not community. It's not what's in the best interest of the people around me. It's like, what am I going to get out of this? And this is why I think where we're at today with our society is everybody's like, well, what does this offer me? How do I benefit from this? And, you know, whether or not other people are effective is secondary to, you know, to how I'm affected. And in relation, I never thought I'd see the day where like the Redskins would change their name. I never thought I would see that fucking day. The Washington team? Is that what it what is? What the fuck? Uh, yeah, I'm going to see the Washington They've been the team. Redskins for a gazillion years. It's a legacy, right? What's next? The Braves? Do they have to go? Fuck. There'll be the Braves. The, a couple of them changed. I mean, to me, it's absolutely crazy. How can there be Browns? Oh, jeez. I, I, I got I to give you guys this one quick. I know we're trying to end this and trying to end this and trying to end this. So I won't go into the team name because I don't want to point the organization out. Fuck them. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's just say there's an organization, local organization, and there's 
uh, sports teams involved, whether that be basketball, football, baseball. I'm not going to say the sport either. And so you have different. Damn, confidential information. Yeah, there, I don't right? want. I yeah, don't want to. So we're have... tip we're tiptoeing around here. A bit. <laughs> so you have different. Be a detective, Greg. Get him. You're within the same organization, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So you're the same mascot. So you're the uh, Buffalo. Well, you're the Bills. Okay. All right, but you have different teams within the organization. So it'll be the Buffalo Bills red team. Oh, Christ. And then the Buffalo Bills blue team. It's fine. So you have two different squads. Okay. So there used to be a whatever Buffalo Bills black team. Mm. and a buffalo bills gold team so the colors of of such organization and they can no longer say the buffalo bills and i don't know why i'm using the bills because i'm not a bills fan but the buffalo bills black can no longer be used it's a color i mean there was a buffalo bills white team so there's still a buffalo bills white team but there's not a buffalo bills black team because it could be taken as offensive Believe me. What about our cracker ass? My wife's Hispanic, so I have no, there's no thing there. But white's a color, black's a color. That's what it is. So how is black offensive, but white's not offensive? And I'm sure I'm going to get in the comment section. People will comment and tell me whatever I am. I I hold them. But, you know, that's just, everyone's offended by every little thing nowadays. And for good reason for sometimes, right? It can work sometimes. I get it if you're, you're saying certain words. You can understand that, but what do you think about that, Greg? Uh, I think it's become such a slippery slope. And like, where does this? I mean, how far do we continue to go with this? And I, I, how do I? At some point, I won't even be comfortable referring to you as, you know, until I sit down and go, um, I'm going to need a list of things I can say, you know. And so, like, where? Oh, I got this, a story for you about <laughs> that. Where do where oh. do we go from here to where anybody's interpretation of something offensive has to be taken off the table? Until the point where we just aren't comfortable even talking to each other anymore. We just think we, we should just avoid conversations because somehow something I'm going to say is potentially going to be offensive. And, and, and anything could be ruled offensive. Anything. Mm-hmm. Your, your, your mm-hmm. shirt offends me. I don't like that color yeah. shirt and that offends me. So. This beer, Funky Buddha, how insensitive to people that practice Buddhism. Oh They're, my God, they better change the name. Since when were they funky? You know, it's just like how that's how far it can go. Yeah. Yeah. It gets this ridiculous. How about the uh, who was it? Anime? Who's the 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 one? Ah, fuck! It was it was a label that they changed. And Jemima. And Jemima. Oh, Been yeah. around fucking forever. Changed. You see that? Yeah. Have you seen the new label? I have. Fucking crazy. To me, this is insane. Does this blow your mind, or am I just the cuckoo, the only cuckoo sitting here? I I just feel again. It's just it's just going to exacerbate it and exacerbate it until. Enough people just say, fuck it, I'm getting Aunt Jemima. I'm going to call it what I knew it to be, and I'm not playing the game. If you want to give me syrup, this is what I'm going to call it. You're going to have three bathrooms soon. <laughs> so that was another thing. I was really surprised this morning when I went to use the restroom. I saw the girls' bathroom and then the girls' boys' bathroom. So I was not – in California, of course, that wouldn't surprise me. In Florida, I was a little surprised. I was like, they wow. have a girls' boys' oh, bathroom? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so the girls get their own independent bathroom. Yeah, what the hell? But the guys is, you know, or the, 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 the neutral one is to be used by anybody who just happens to have to go at the time and can use that one. But obviously the, there's segregation, so to speak, for the girls. It's like, this is just insane. Yeah. I, can you imagine our father seeing this? Or my, like my great-grandfather, he'd have a fucking heart attack. My great-grandfather, would, he, he's off the boat from Italy. He would have a fucking heart attack if he could see what's going on right now. He'd 
need to start, you know, the, the whole anti-bullying thing, and I'm fine. Their kids do get bullied. Oh, that's give not, me that's a not, fucking that's break. That's all right. There are some kids that, you know, they get picked on and they can't defend themselves back because may, they may have learning disabilities, but teach your kid to stick up for himself. Teach your kid that he doesn't have to be offended. You know, if you're offended, stick up for yourself. Just stick up for yourself. I'm don't sorry. Teach kids and, I, and I, the real bullying, you know, the real bullying that happened, I, my heart goes out to him, you mm-hmm. know, right? But yeah. this little bullshit bullying, come on. Give me a, push give me back. a break. Push him back. Fucking right, push him. He hit you, hit the fuck back. And, and I think I, a lot of parents are setting their kids up for that because yes, of this, yes, taking this thing is like, hey, you, how do you feel today? Do you want to wear the dress or do you want to wear the jeans? And then you send that kid to school and obviously there's going to be some, you know, it's not, you know, there's going to be some question and which is going to, you know, kids are kids. Yeah. And, and Hey, why is Tommy wearing a dress? You know? And of course that kid goes home and now he's been bullied. Why the fuck is he wearing a dress? (laughs) So (laughs) you you set him up for the problem. And so this is all just, again, it's just a self-perpetuating situation that, um, we're all going to suffer from. Yeah. If we don't have a, if we're not able to distinguish things from one another as good and bad and right and wrong, then everything's becomes there's standard. Do we measure anything by the the second craziest of all next to the bullying is that everybody gets a trophy. Everybody that drives because I brought, I was really mm-hmm. good at football, Greg. Oh, were you? I, I got a lot of scholarships. Um, cornerback, running back. Okay. Um, Figured you were fast. Yeah, that was real. I broke a lot, um, but you know, but nowadays, fuck. I mean, now you can't hit. You know, you. It's just. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. You know, basketball. You can't even fucking hand check. We could be your three. Hours. Listen to me, LeBron, Maybe LeBron, but like a guy like um, Stephon Curry wouldn't make it two seconds in '96, '97. They were going into dunk getting killed. And get a Patrick Ewing. I don't know if you watch basketball. You no, know, but I watch football and I see what's happening with this over emphasis to protect the quarterback. And, you know, these guys are running across, the, you know, trying to get to the sack the quarterback and all their body weight and momentum are going. And so he releases the ball and they can't stop themselves. And so they land on top of him. And now you've got a roughing the passer penalty. And it's like, well, well then the quarterback, the quarterback just needs to be off limits. You can't touch him. Yeah. Because everything's becoming this ridiculous, overly. You know, I understand the injury issues, but you guys sign up for this. This is what you want to See, do with your life. That's what I say. If you choose to go play football, if you choose to go be a boxer, you know what you're getting into. If you go into a gang, my you brother's know what you're paralyzed from football and he harbors no animosity. I'm sorry to hear that. No, but it's again a real fucking man because he, he knew what the fuck he was getting into. He went into it and he never looked like, hey, man, I uh, somebody should have protected me. He never looked at it that way. He's like, hey, I got in a bad situation. I collided with somebody and I broke my neck and move on. Right, Rob. I mean, you know, I I got hit like a motherfucker. I got a real serious concussion once. And and that while the fucking quarter, you know, he threw a pass uh, in the middle. So then I got clocked both ways. He ended up going to Purdue. You got gronked. Gronked. Gronked, gronked. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But, you know. But I, I, w- I wasn't mad at anything. I signed up for it, you yeah. know? It sucked, but fuck. You know, they're, they're taking the fun out of everything. But yeah. what are you going to do, Greg, other than come back? <laughs> and when I come back, um, we're going to get my name right. Get your name right. K-A-D-I-N-G. And then we got, well, what, what's his podcast going to be called? Uh, Cadence Corner. Oh, Cadence Corner. 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 Cadence Corner.
Cadings. No, no, that I used to call him Caden for ten years. Cading, Cading's K- corner. Cading's corner. You made me sound Jewish, Caden. Does that sound? Yeah, Caden. K- yeah. Does that sound Jewish? Isn't it Caden? Caden's corner, which is cool with me. I like K- that. Caden corner sounds easier though, right? Caden quarter. Yeah, it does actually. I think there's actually a kicker in the NFL named Caden for San Diego. Sounds he familiar. was, yeah. Who's your team in, in NFL? So, uh, I'm not I, I'm not a loyalist, but I should be. So, and I'm back to the Rams now, just because I grew up, as, you know, when I was a kid, I loved the Rams. Roman Gabriel. Yeah. This is way before your time. No, but I, I watched a lot. I watched okay. a lot of. T- my grandfather made me watch mm. tape, and believe this, this guy would make me watch tape when I'm in tenth grade. But I'll t- <laughs> I'll tell you this one last story, which I've thought, but I want to tell you because you're cool as fuck. He would have me out in a wife beater catching passes in Pennsylvania in like one degree. I know Rob, I say this all the time, but he's cool as fuck. He'll appreciate this. <laughs> so it would be one, my mom would be coming out screaming, you're going to give him hypothermia. I had to catch a hunter before I could go in. When it's 110 degrees, sweatshirts, Same body thing. suits. But now when I went to play, that heat was nothing. Right. Where everybody's dying and sweating. I'm like, shit. You know, in the off season in the summer when it was mm-hmm. 110 a year at the pool, I'm fully padded up with 10, you know, four sweatshirts on, hooded thick, four pairs of sweatpants, pads that are tight as hell under it. My grandpa throwing passes into a thing like the, the rubber thing that you run into and throwing them right at the rubber thing so I would get smashed in it. Like that he would, blocking dummy? Yeah, like a blocking dummy because he was really good at football too. Mm-hmm. So when I went and it was cold as hell to me, They'd be like, do you want a hand warmer? And I'd be like, yeah. hand warmer for what? Well, to hold the ball so you don't fumble. This is nothing. I'm I'm in a wife beater, two degrees out. I swear to God, he knows. Catching balls, a hunter, I can't go inside. I couldn't even feel my hands, you know? But then when I went to play, it was fucking a joke, yeah. you know? Mentally conditioned already Yeah. for it. But I wouldn't have had to do that now because everybody gets a fucking trophy. Well, you couldn't do it now because your grandpa would be going to jail oh, for child fuck. abuse. That's right. That's child abuse, right? Child and youth would have been there in two seconds. Absolutely. It had it on video. Uh, I would be in jail. Mm-hmm. If I had a boy, I, I would, yep. and I, I'd be, Greg, uh, you know anybody? And they would convince you to testify against your own grandfather. I would never do that. <laughs> you could never get me to do that. Even you couldn't get me to do that. You could put a gun to me, I'd just say, kill me. Did you really want to be out there? Be honest. Did you really? See, uh... <laughs> Lawyer, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Greg. Thanks uh, for your thanks time. You guys. I Appreciate have a witness it. of your coming back. We've got a lot more Love stories. It. Thank you very much, All buddy. All right, buddy. Appreciate you, Appreciate man. Appreciate it.